the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Shockwaves, starring... Luke Halpin, Brooke Adams, and Peter Cushing. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Podcasting After Dark. I am Sweet Sexy Z, Tiny T, uh, Man Love, Munchie Boy. I don't know what you want to call me. You, you just, it's me, Zach. And uh, joining me, as always, is my beautiful, bodacious co-host, this, the little Corey Gory. I think I'm going to have to call him little Corey Gory from now on. Corey Stevenson. What's up, brother? Hey, buddy. How's it going, my man? Good. I was trying to think of like a witty intro for tonight's movie, 1977's Shockwaves, uh, but I couldn't. So I was thinking more, you know what? This movie, the whole point, I was talking to Dustin from $2 Late Fee offline about this movie, and he said, he made a good point. He goes, this movie reminds me of, like, what your podcast kind of originally was the inception of. You know, this something you weren't supposed to watch as a child or something you watched as a child. And I said, that's true, because Shockwaves was one, along with Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, was one of the regular movies I would watch Saturday afternoon creature features on TV 20 thriller in Detroit. Um, it scared the hell out of me. Then there are moments that I think could genuinely scare the hell out of me now, uh, as a, as a much older adult, but, uh, yeah, we're talking about shock waves. We're going to talk about Nazi zombies. We're going to talk about Peter Cushing in the twilight of his career, all that good stuff. Corey, what is your history with, Shockwaves. I've only ever seen it once before this viewing, before this recording. Uh, that was with you uh, about, I think at this point, maybe nine or ten years ago, I think. Um, we were going on a kick one summer, just watching a bunch of movies. I think it was before we started going into our Carpenter phase. Uh, but we were just watching stuff that, like, you know, you were like, hey, check this one. I was like, i never seen it before. Um, but prior to that, uh, my history with the movie growing up in the 80s, uh, the VHS cover both mesmerized me and terrified me as a kid. I 
always remember going to the video store, kind of like looking at it, kind of being like, oh, is this going to be the time that I rent it? You know, I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm just going to rent Terminator 1 instead because, you know, I know, you know, this one's just too scary for me. And, I, you know, it's kind of like, are they giants? But at the same time, I kind of understood that it was probably artistic interpretation on the cover. But I was still scared of this movie poster cover uh but looking at it now and even then i I could also admit the quality of the cover and the artwork but looking at it now it is one of my i mean i'd say probably realistically top 10 uh favorite movie posters of all time um still you you guys know defcon 4 still probably my favorite from that era but this is up there man i always thought that this was a cool ass poster and it scared the shit out of me um but yeah haven't seen it in about 10 years since the last time you and i watched it i was so excited for you to bring this to the table because we didn't plan on this guys this whole you know we we talked about you know, Zach reviewed Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. That's 1972. We have a discussion in there where we mention stuff like Shockwaves and Zombie. Uh, and then I bumped up the Zombie review because we wanted to have that discussion. And because of that, Zach bumped up this review. And I just, I'm loving this, like we're getting this mid early 70s zombie look and everything. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I was telling it to, talking to my wife because she watched it with me. Um, I know, Zach, you and I, we, and everyone agrees that Night of the Living Dead is it was the game changer. But looking at this and looking at zombie and stuff, I do think it was probably Dawn of the Dead that really solidified the zombie that we knew and loved. The, you know, the zombie that's normal now uh, moving forward. But I love this era. Children shouldn't play with dead things. Um, shockwaves. Even zombie because it still wasn't totally – it was in production when, when Dawn of the Dead was in production. So, yeah. like – or, you know, kind of was like a little bit – still had that voodoo-ness to it. Here, there's something else happening that's really cool. Then in, you know, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, you know, has that whole, like, you know, satanic aspect of it. And I just, I love this era of zombie movies because they haven't locked down the formula and the the creators are having fun messing with the genre until it just gets solidified after Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, in my opinion, another film that, filmmakers moving forward have probably seen and paid homage to um but haven't outright called the film out for the reference like for the the influence that it had on it another under the radar horror flick that i think needs more attention i was reminded that in our first season i think i did horror express yes which had peter cushing in it as well and for some reason you know peter cushing his career was really uh, the, 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 the peak of his career was way before that, you know, we're talking fifties and sixties and the hammer horror films. Uh, he, he passed away in 94 and clearly after this, he did star Wars and countless other movies, uh, and had a, had a longer career in the seventies and eighties as well. But, um, this always stood out to me because he looked so gaunt and he looked so skinny. As a kid, I was like, is this Peter Cushing's last movie? Was this the last one he did? Cause he looks so sickly. Well, that's also just the acting and his character, right? I mean, but he, as a kid, he was I didn't understand sick though. That. Let's not, you know, take that away from him, you know? And yes, he is acting and, yeah. you know, whatnot, but I mean, he does look really frail in this and you, and you know, you can see it in his face in Grand Moff Tarkin, but he, you know, he did a uh, star Wars right after this, but that obviously that Imperial outfit covered up a lot of his body. I mean, even Myra was like, Oh God, 
he is so frail looking in this movie, but yet he's not frail. Like he takes some falls yeah. and everything, you know? Yeah, and he has a juicy role. We'll, yeah. we'll get to his juicy and, role in a minute. And but, cool um, makeup too. I like it. Love his fucking scar. Yeah, yeah. A lot of I think this movie. Well, we'll point out the connection it shares with children shouldn't play with dead things in a moment when we get to the cast and crew. Uh, but I think a big part of this film is the special effects, and like you pointed out via text the other day, the cinematography and uh, you know the originality of this film. I don't think there has been, I can't think of a Nazi zombie film prior to this. And they're really up until, I don't know what, 10, 10 or 15 years ago, there was a Nazi zombie movie. There hasn't really been a Nazi zombie movie like uh surgeons. There's never been a surge of these kind of movies. Yeah. It's kind of ripe for it though. Like this is a perfect opportunity to remake this movie. Yeah. And dude, for a low budget Pretty much first time film, you know, by the the producer and the cinematographer, same person, and Ken Wiederhorn and everything. It's like their early earlier movies and whatnot. The the level of competency here, um, what the movie maybe lacks in believability here and there, it more than makes up for with atmosphere, uh, f- fantastic eerie music. Uh, the score, oh, I love the score. We're going to have to call, you know, talk about that. Of course. Um, I think it's fantastic. But I think the real standout of this movie is the way the zombie, the Nazi zombies are portrayed, the shots that they, how they film them and everything. Always, a lot of times, you know, very far away and stuff like that, shallow focus. Really cool. Really, I just, I love it. It, it oozes atmosphere and, and creepiness and everything but i also think it has a couple little spots of tongue-in-cheek as well which i think ken wiederhorn is sort of known uh you know for that with return of the living dead you know part two and whatnot obviously this came out before that but oh for sure yeah. and and i think you know th- this film is not without its flaws and we will call out a few of those yeah. just like we did with children shouldn't play with dead things but those flaws do not take away from what is an overall fun terrifying experience and and if you if you let yourself down if if you just let your guard down and kind of ease into a throwback type movie because that's what this certainly is i think you're gonna have a good time so uh so let's strap in but before we strap into the cast and crew Corey, i I had a a thought that i didn't know where to insert so i just wanted to throw it out here now um dude my the very opening credit when they're talking about everything at the beginning, which is really cool, and we'll obviously get there as well. My first thought was, "Oh man, this could easily take place in the Hellboy universe." Oh yeah, that's not a bad thought, and it still might. Like, there's no reason you know that it can't, but it has this. The whole movie has this sort of comic book quality to it, and I say that in the best possible you know like compliment but um i i think that this could easily sit next to uh, a hellboy film i think uh hellboy uh, could learn a thing or two by making this their movies a little bit shorter and yes. maybe speed up the uh the pace and they wouldn't have so many kind of boring spots yeah <clears throat> nah, i'm with you buddy they're, they're not perfect films um, shave 20 minutes off those movies but i do enjoy the hellboy movies and before we get into the cast and crew <laughs> i do want to call out the fact that um this also gave me uh vibes of children shouldn't play with dead things because they were both filmed in florida yeah yeah this location again another highlight of another highlight of this movie is the location oh, the location yeah. is phenomenal 
I want to live in that location for every horror film. Dude. I want that to be the location for every single horror film. Um, yeah, and let's also point out the fact that though it's listed as not rated on the Blu-ray, IMDb calls out that it's rated PG. Um, regardless, it, it was considered a parental guidance type movie back in the day. Yeah. So this is what you can do. And I think, I think to this day, if this movie came out now, it would still be considered PG because there's really nothing wrong with it. There's no gore. Uh, there's just terrifying moments. And I like that, man. I, I actually like <laughs> the thing is, and we'll call it out every time the zombies kill everyone by drowning them. They completely commit to the bit of drowning people. And there's some shots where, you know, the zombie just slowly comes up and just takes the person down under and no, there's no noise. The person doesn't scream, but they're, they're gone. And I'm just like, it's cool. It's eerie. And I like that this movie's not overly gory. You can, this could be like, I think like return of the living dead part two, this can be a sort of a starter horror movie for kids. Agreed. Agreed. And what a connection that Return of the Living Dead Part 2 was also directed by Ken Wiederhorn. Yep. That's who directed this and uh, contributed to the script as well. Yeah. So let's uh, we got some good people behind this, the scenes and everything like that. And yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk about, about behind about. the scenes yeah. first, and then we'll get to the actors. Um, yeah, we mentioned the director, obviously. Producer is Ruben Train. Um, I'm not sure who that is, but he produced King Frat in 1979 yeah so i watched uh the the blue underground blu-ray that that you sent me um had i watched three documentaries one with uh brooke adams um one with uh uh luke uh halpin and one with him uh the producer who's also the cinematographer and that was a 20-minute interview and he had a lot of good information about how they film things and everything and i'll impart some of it um while we're going through the movie and whatnot but it's so weird because this movie is so amazingly shot, and he's done, like, nothing else. Yeah, that is interesting. And we've heard that before with people, like, why didn't they do more than this? Why didn't they do anything after that? It Well, it's, it's why this business is wacky as it is. And also point out the fact that, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever, no, I'm not going <laughs> to, unfortunately or unfortunately, I don't think you can say that anymore without the connotation involved, um, you know, I'll also point out the fact that this Blu-ray, all it did was import the DVD uh, extras. That's all it did, unfortunately. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, the the blue the DVDs, the, the quality is just as good on DVD. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, no, the Blu-ray had a shit ton of artifacting. Um, I was, it's it's so grainy. But the thing is, there is no negative. They can never get us uh, a better copy because the negative was lost and the DVD and thus the Blu-ray were both created from uh, a copy of Ken uh, Wiederhorn's uh, personal copy himself. That's awesome that they were able to do that. So shout out to Blue Underground and for at least putting it out. would have been. Yep. Just thanks for putting out on Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> um, behind the scenes, one more person to point out was the, in the makeup department, Alan Ormsby did the makeup for Shockwaves. That's why when you see the movie Dead of Night, a.k.a. Death Dream, uh, you know, you'll notice the makeup 
looks very similar to the way the zombies look in this. And then, of course, children shouldn't play with dead things. The 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 zombie. Some of the zombies look very similar. He uses those contact lenses that kind of give off that like you know teeny pupil with the white outline and yeah. I don't know. His his the makeup effects are one of the true highlights of this movie. And of course, he was in uh, Alan Orms- Ormsby was also in uh, uh, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. Of course, and started to direct the movie Popcorn. Yeah, starring Joel Sholin. But well, there's a whole story with that. Yeah. Um, you want to ta- talk about the composer, Richard Einhorn? He actually composed uh, quite a few genre movies in the 80s, well, and 70s as well. The Prowler, for one. If you've never seen The Prowler, which is a uh, Blue Underground release as well, I highly recommend that. I have it on Blu-ray. Um, I picked it up. I have not watched it yet, but I have it because it's uh, Savini did all the uh, the effects in it, and I love. I've seen the the knife to the head gag where the guy's eyes go white and everything. Yep. Um, it's, and I, it's good. It's creepy. And he also did um, the composer Richard Einhorn also did a movie called Blood Rage. Uh, the music for that I have I have the Arrow uh, release of that. Everyone and I haven't watched that one either. Add that to the pile of like fifty fucking Blu-rays that I haven't watched. Um, but, um, everyone talks about that every Thanksgiving cause it's a, like a Thanksgiving horror movie. So, oh yeah. But dude, I think David Irons might've pointed that out. Too. Yeah. 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 He, he did a bunch of genre movies. Don't go in the house. Eyes of a stranger, you know, not, not like groundbreaking. Oh my God, these are amazing, but they're still fun genre movies. Dead of winter, which is a, a nice thriller sister, sister, which is, uh, well, it's got Eric Stoltz and it's got uh, Jennifer Jason Lee in it. I think you'll like that one, Corey. <laughs> nice. And I mean, it should be noted that Shockwaves was his first, uh, you know, movie that he composed. And I think the doesn't sound like it. No, dude, the mu- the score is amazing. I dude, we're between this. And freaking zombie, we have some great zombie music uh, uh, happening on on pad right now. So I I think we just uh, curated our our Halloween uh, soundtrack for <laughs> 2023. I wouldn't be surprised if Lee Germany has this on vinyl. I know, <laughs> I'm sure too. And if he does, maybe he can lend it to me slash give it to me. Um, <clears throat> let Let's jump into the cast. We obviously mentioned Peter Cushing. I don't think we need to really labor on him any more than that. Um, I'm going to go in and out of order. Okay. I, in, in the intro, you heard that Luke Halpin is, uh, I, I shouted him out first in our intro. I love that dude. Yeah. Um, so, so he started on flipper. Uh, fucking back flipper, in the man. Day. <laughs> fucking flipper, man. He, to me, I think when Corey and I watched this together way back when we goofed on the fact that he looked like a low rent Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Um, uh, or like if Luke Skywalker, and uh, Thomas Jane from Boogie Nights had a baby, it would be this guy. Rockin' Reed Rothschild. Well, I mean, he, the funny thing is, on his interview, and it's kind of, his interview looked like, from the quality, it was taken um, from, like, the 90s. It was, like, a long time ago. Uh, but he talks about, like, the fact that, okay, well, Peter Cushing went to Hollywood after this. And, uh, you know, he's like, I should have followed him. I probably could have been you know, on Star Wars. He's like, I could have been Luke Skywalker's brother or something. And yeah, I was like, yeah, dude, he does have that look. And, and even, you know, even he knows it, but it's, I think it's interesting too, aside from Peter Cushing, most of the actors here, even Brooke Adams and Luke, um, they're all from 
the area, like Miami and whatnot, and and oh, okay, which cool. is which is interesting. Like this whole cast and crew, for, uh, you know. Even um, by the way, Fred Olin Ray. This is one of his first movies. He was um, a gopher on set, you know, type of thing, and uh, you know, fam- the the director Fred Olin Ray. Um, so and I think he's kind of uncredited, but like everyone here is from that area, and that's why we get um, what Ormsby and whatnot. He you know he was still down there after doing Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things and whatnot. So it's interesting. I, again, I love that we're piecing this like. The 70s, weird 70s Miami zombie resurgence of movie type of thing. It's interesting. Non-Hollywood. I'm loving it, too. It'll stop after this one. Yeah. Uh, but 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 we're not going to end with the schlockiness. That's no. for damn sure. No, no. We got and if schlock. you want to know what the next movie is going to be, go on our wrap-up after dark and become a Patreon member. Uh, we actually just had someone sign up today. So jump on the Patreon pad train now while it's hot. We'll jump on it whenever because it's always going to be hot. But we got great stuff. The wrap-up after dark, we were always uh, letting you know ahead of time what movies we're going to be breaking down on the show, updates and whatnot. That's one That's one piece to the Patreon puzzle. And we also have The Carpenter Factor, one of the highlights of Patreon where we, dis- where we discuss all of John Carpenter's entire filmography that he directed and one more just because well you gotta listen to find out uh but go check out our patreon page please patreon.com slash podcasting after dark now back to our regularly scheduled programming um john carradine is in this as well and john, john carradine a- and his gnarled arthritic hands <laughs> poor bastard and probably who knows what he was drinking who knows what was going on did you know you're on a ghost ship? Ooh. <laughs> uh, if you if you don't know who John Carradine is, well, th- then just go look him up. Uh, he was in Grapes of Wrath. That's oh. all you need to know. Well, I was gonna say I always know him from uh, The Howling. He was like the old werewolf in The Howling. Well, of course, yeah. But is he David Carradine's dad? I think I feel like I've asked you this before. He is. Okay. He is. He's he's the father. He's the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, and of care of John, uh, David and Robert, um, and he was good friends with John Barrymore, related to that, Drew, yeah, father of Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know the, he's got a long history. I don't know the guy personally. Uh, I've heard rumors, not the best rumors, but you know. John Carradine's a trip, and he has a very small role in this, but a very pivotal role. Yeah, he was old Hollywood, and he he passed away in, you know, 1988, but he was, like, old school. Like, even then, you know, like, even in the late 70s, he was, like, still, like, old Hollywood. Um, Oh, yeah. So, apparently, you know, so for as far as budget and everything goes, um, John Carradine's uh, filmed for five days, and his rate was $1,000 a day, so he made 5000 bucks. Peter Cushing... He's top build in this. His rate for five days also, he also shot for five days. Um, his rate was $25,000. So, uh, and then he also required first class from the UK to here uh, to the US, a driver and a hotel, obviously. Um, and he wound up basically, uh, it was 10% of the entire budget of the entire movie was just Peter Cushing, which nowadays isn't that big of a deal that's kind of expected for your sort of big star and everything. But this was a massively low budget film and they put all their eggs pretty much in the Peter Cushing and John Carradine bag. 
Wow. Well, it's understandable because two of those two are powerhouses. And and I will point out that Peter Cushing, his his character's name is he's just an SS commander yeah. throughout. And John Carradine is Captain Ben Morris. So I may refer to him as Captain. And Luke is just known as Keith. Yes. Keith. Keith. Um Brooke Adams is Brooke Adams plays Rose. Um, we talked about Brooke Adams before. We love her in Invasion of the Body Snatchers for one. Yeah. Um, the Dead Zone. She was great in that. The, oh, she's amazing in the Dead Zone. Days of Heaven. The Unborn. She's a she's an amazing actor. Uh, I'm a huge fan of hers. I know Corey is too. Yeah, dude. We both love um, the that particular version of Body Snatchers. I think everybody does. It's the one with Keith. Keith it's the one with Donald Sutherland at the end is pointing and, you know, his mouth opened at, at Veronica Cartwright and everything. And she's going, hang Yeah. Yeah. You know, doing her patented thing that she does so well. I didn't know uh, until the interview that Brooke Adams was married to Tony Shalhoum. Really? Yeah. Monk? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Good for them. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> Good for him indeed. Yeah. Fucking A. Uh so when you watch if you if you've never seen this movie and you're going to watch this movie after our review, don't be surprised if you think that John C. Riley and Will Farrell had a love child in Fred <laughs> Buck, Buck who plays Chuck. <laughs> yeah, dude. With he, rock hard abs. He's dude, Chuck. Fred Buck has a rockin' bod that is betrayed by his perm hair. Like, he could have been— He's the definition of butterface. Dude, he could have been so much cooler, but his— He he has the the leading man body, but he did not have the leading man above the neck. No, I I remember him in Caddyshack. He's hilarious in that, and that's all I, I remember him from. Who was he in that? He's like, well, he's listed as angry husband in that, but he's just like a bickering guy. He, I think he has like one scene in the movie. He looks annoyed and I'm like, why do I know that guy? Oh yeah. Shockwaves. Oh shit. He was also in uh, nightmare beach uh, from 1989. I picked up, I think the Kino uh, Blu-ray of that and I actually watched it. I've actually seen that one. Um, it was, uh, it was okay. It was decent. I, I don't know if I, yeah. if we're, whatever, I'm not really going to bring it to pad or anything, but you know, if you get a chance to watch it on Tubi or something, it's, it's he fun. He gets the shine in this. That's for damn sure. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Jack Davidson plays Norman. Uh, he's the whiny, whiny, just whiny, whiny, whiny guy of the movie. Yeah, he's, but he's uh, he's been in quite a few things: Secret of My Success, Trading Places, I the Jury, Bada Bing, Bada Boom. He's been working up until 2018, I think. So he's he's working steadily. Yeah, no, good good for him. He's obviously by design the least favorite character in in the movie. Yeah, he's good. He's good though. I, 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 he plays his role very well. He does his uh, job. Beverly, played by DJ Sydney, also plays her role very well. Yeah. Um, not a whole lot of roles. I believe she's only listed as two. <laughs> Quincy M E and Shockwaves, baby. <laughs> Shockwaves and Quincy. Um, someone else who, who stands out. Well, this is a very small cast. Yeah. Uh, Don Stout plays Dobbs. That's all, this is all he's listed as. I thought he did is, fine. I thought he was great, and I thought I'm like, did where else has he been? Like, what else have I seen him in? Nothing. It makes you wonder if he was maybe a stage guy, like a stage actor, and they kind of hired him for this. Yeah, that that makes sense. And maybe the same uh, as Beverly too, you know. Yeah, totally. And he's a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Uh, you know what else is fun is uh, this movie. Yeah. And what we're going to do, it's going to be interesting. We're going to drop the trailer in a moment. And after that, uh, it's going to go straight into the intro of the movie. Instead of me doing the voiceover, I'm just going to let it play out because it's haunting. It's creepy. It feels like you're watching In Search Of, uh, hosted by Leonard Nimoy. And it's too good to pass up. So without further ado, let's get to the business of shockwaves. You are now in the deep end of horror. Shockwaves. Once they were almost human. You mean to say that what we all saw out there is just a mirage? It was a minor underwater disturbance, with a hot sky acting on a cold current coming from a mile down below. Something unknown, something unforeseen, something unspeakable lives below, and it lives to destroy. They have risen. We created the perfect soldier from cheap hoodlums and thugs, and a good number of pathological murderers and sadists as well. We call them the Toten Corps, the Death Corps, creatures more horrible than any you can imagine. From beyond the dead, from beneath the living, from the depths of hell's ocean, everything they touch will die in the deep. Shock waves. Give me the flashlight. We'll be left with nothing but that oil lamp. You don't need it. I need all the help I can get out there. Now let me have it. the masters of shock, John Carradine and Peter Cushing. You are indeed very stupid. Now it is too late. Now the total horror has begun. Now there is no way out. Now the ocean becomes a graveyard. you run, the quicker you die. Because once they were almost human. Shockwaves. The deep end of horror. So the movie Cold opens with a cool, well, I don't know if it's cool. It's a shot of Nazi soldiers from you know, 1942 or whatever, and uh, like a like a black and white sepia tone photo of these creepy as hell looking soldiers, and this narration plays, which you're about to hear right now. Shortly before the start of World War II, the German High Command began a secret investigation into the powers of the supernatural. Ancient legend told of a race of warriors who used neither weapons nor shields, and whose superhuman power came 
from within the earth itself. As Germany prepared for war, the SS secretly enlisted a group of scientists to create an invincible soldier. It is known that the bodies of soldiers killed in battle were returned to a secret laboratory near Koblenz, where they were used in a variety of scientific experiments. It was rumored that toward the end of the war, Allied forces met German squads that fought without weapons, killing only with their bare hands. No one knows who they were or what became of them, but one thing is certain. Of all the SS units, there was only one that the Allies never captured a single member of. And so this is cool because I like how they set everything up here. And, and this is when I was like right away, I was like, oh, this is, I in my head, this is in the Hellboy universe. The, like the BPRD, you know, would have came around. Uh, maybe one day they will. Maybe the, the BPRD actually comes to this island and takes care of them. And they, they you know, follow Brooke Adams' character or something. I don't know. But, man, I, I think that this movie takes place in the Hellboy universe. Or, or X-Files, you know, something like that. I'm totally cool with either of those, for sure. Right? Um, yeah, well, when you guys find out what happens to Brooke Adams' character, not sure if she'll be returning. But <laughs> Oh, and, and just to let you know, like, if you've never seen this movie, we don't want to spoil anything. So turn this off now after you go watch the movie and then come back and turn us back on. And welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> welcome back. So an amazing title card, amazing title card is shown of the logo of the movie Shockwaves with a SS logo at the bottom. It's very creepy. Nazi symbol on it. I mean, and I was gonna like take a picture of the 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 title uh, and post it on my Instagram, and I was like, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm gonna do that with the Nazi symbol with the the swastika on it. So I instead went, I, I instead took a picture of later on when the zombies are coming out of the water, like that iconic image, you know, and posted that instead. But I was like, you know what? I feel like this may be gonna get me flagged or something. Probably, yeah, because in no way, shape, or form does this movie endorse or embrace Nazis. In fact, it's the complete opposite. It's it's just, but it, they are Nazi zombies, so calling it is what it is. And I'm, you know, neither us, neither of us are going to endorse Nazism, obviously, but I'm going to th- call things that are cool, like, you know, the, the Nazi zombies look cool. Their outfits look cool. The That black and white photo at the beginning looks cool, like you were saying, but then you got worried about, like, oh, I don't know if I should call it cool, but it is cool. But it's it's Nazis. So, guys and gals, just know that we are not supporters of Nazis. Yes, I think everyone, you all know <laughs> you all that. Know that. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. After the amazing intro and title card, the movie opens on a POV shot from Under the Water. And then a panoramic faraway shot of a boat in the middle of the ocean. The boat's teeny tiny. It's like a little dinghy. Literally, it is a dinghy. Cut to a fisherman boat and a boy on the fisherman boat spotting the abandoned dinghy from a distance. Boy's father, I'm assuming it's his father. Yeah, I think uh, so, yeah. Spots the boat as well, grabs his binoculars to get a better look. Cut to the boat and inside it you see Rose laying in the boat and she starts narrating. She says, I don't know how long that dinghy floated around with me lying in it. All I can remember is the sound of the water slapping against the side. Then I heard the engine sound getting closer. That was when I realized I was still alive. The boy and his father are now next to the dinghy in their boat. Father tells the son to get the dinghy, grab it, and help get Rose out. 
boy gets in the boat. They start pulling Rose out of it. She looks traumatized. She starts freaking out. Father's like saying to her, you know, don't do that. Don't do that. He's trying to help you. He's talking about his son trying to help her. She looks, she looks hesitant, but then she starts getting out of the boat and her narration continues. I couldn't understand what they wanted. It didn't occur to me that I was being rescued. She continues to panic and the fisherman's saying, it's okay. It's okay. We don't, we mean no hurt to you. We mean no hurt to you. He tells the boy, Jonathan, to get some water for her. They bring her into the boat, sit her down, and they start talking to her. What are you doing way out here in that boat, little lady? They give her some water to drink, and she starts downing the water like she's clearly <laughs> dehydrated. Her eyes are sunken in dark circles. Her mouth is super her mouth is super chapped, and her skin is blistered. Dude, her, the makeup on her is fantastic. It's truthfully... I think one of the best, like, you know, someone who's been out in the sun uh, on a boat makeup I've ever freaking seen. And this is a low budget movie. Totally agree. The man says, what are you doing out here? She looks away and into the water and her narration continues. I wish I could have told him, but it's only now that I remember any of it at all. Scene cuts to Rose with a diving mask on and a bathing suit underwater. Not quite zombie, not quite the nudity level of zombie, but no, but I'm okay. So hot. Oh, oh yeah, no, I'm 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 loving me some Brooke Adams, but I like that there's no nudity in this, so that again we can this can be a kids horror movie, a movie that we can introduce kids to, you know, horror the the genre. You can, and then at the same time, she's you know she's a beautiful woman. There's no no mistaking that. <laughs> yeah. Her narration continues as she's swimming underwater. It was the second day on one of those small dive boats that takes you around the islands. The engine had broken down for the second time. She comes up to the surface of the water from her dive with her mask still on. Quick side note, she's wearing like an old school diver mask, which is just the oval one. Yeah. <laughs> as a kid, my dad was a Navy my dad was a Navy SEAL. I've talked about this before. And I wanted an authentic Navy SEAL dive mask like he had. So he got me one from the Army-Navy surplus. And I jumped into the pool with it, it, and it you know, was pushed up against my face. And those old-school dive masks are literally like a suction cup. Yeah. They do not let up. This is a brand-new mask. So I go to pull on it, and there's a metal ring around the side. And as I pull on it, the metal was so sharp that it basically just sliced my fingers, ah. sliced the skin off my fingers, right? I'm screaming with the mask still on my face. Are my you, hands are covered in blood. Are you underwater or are you above water? No, I came up. Okay. I came up out of the water okay. to take my mask off, and, and I'm covered in blood. My hands are bleeding, totally slashed open, like almost like a, like a half circle Good around Lord. my fingers. My stepmom comes out, and she's like, Oh, God, what are you doing? You're getting blood everywhere. That's her response to me screaming, covered in blood. You're fine. You're fine. Just relax. <laughs> just relax, buddy. Just relax. Just wanted to throw that in there. I just was like a little trauma. Oh, how, Can't how have you... an episode without trauma from Zach. I, I know, but how did you – did you eventually get it off? <laughs> Well, I'm the one that actually took the mask off. I'm screaming, and, I'm, and I started apologizing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I pull it off my face. Yeah. 
and and then she's like, oh, "Fine, let me get some band aids. I've got band aids on every, all ten fingers." Oh all my ten god! Fingers. Oh my god! Dad comes home. What happened? He wasn't there. You know. Suddenly she's like, "Oh, he's okay. I took care of him." <laughs> you didn't do shit. Yeah. <laughs> Wicked stepmother. Oh no! I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry. It's okay. It was. It was okay. <clears throat> Anyways. You're right. It's all good. I'm. I'm okay. I'm. I'm fine, guys. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Fine. So she takes her dive mask off. Rose does. No problem. No problem. No bloody fingers here. No bloody fingers there. She looks around in the water. She's floating in, and she spots the boat from the distance. Puts the dive mask back on and swims toward the boat. Cut to the boat top deck. Keith is taking down the flag. The flag is a diver down flag. You know how I know that? Van Halen's album, Diver Down. <laughs> I know that because I'm fucking Patty certified scuba diving. Are you? Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. I've been uh, scuba diving in uh, the Keys, Key West with my dad. Um, and we did a night night dive there once. That was terrifying. Oh, you that's can't cool. can't see anything. But yeah, I've been, uh, I've been scuba diving before down in uh, Key West and everything. And I would, I mean, this was like 20 years ago. So I would, I don't, I would want to be recertified. Like I would want. I don't remember any of it, but it was awesome, man. Like, scuba diving is amazing, and all I'll say is it's not like snorkeling. People are like, oh, it's like snorkeling. No, it's when you're, like, down there, it, it, it's another world. It's like it's like an alien planet. When and you're, like, everything's evenly buoyant so you can float and everything, it's nothing like snorkeling, dude. I want to try it. I just hope I don't throw up. <laughs> your mask. <laughs> Make my own chum. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, Keith has taken down his uh, Van Halen flag and uh, starts the engine to the boat. It seems to be working fine. Cut to Dobbs doing Dobbs shit. He's, like, you know, roping, uh, taking rope off the boat, and the boat starts moving. Cut to Rose, now on the boat, sunning herself, uh, drying off from the water. She's in the front of the boat, laying on a towel. Cut to Keith manning the wheel of the boat. Then Captain Ben approaches and asks and tells Keith to keep her at half speed. No sense putting any strain on the crankshaft. He gives Keith the course for the trip. Keith looks and says the coordinates out loud. He says, 330 Northwest. Captain says, 330 North Northwest. Sternly says it to him. He says, and then he says, listen, my friend, what we, ha- what we must have on this boat is accurate navigation. A sailor's best friend. It's the way he makes his way around without losing his boat and his crew. It's, it's not how, it's not how good looking he is. It's a, it's his ability to navigate. <laughs> Keith goes, Keith goes, sorry, because he's kind of got a little bit of a lisp. Sorry. And this seems interesting because you can tell by the background that they're not moving at all. No, they're not. And th- this this movie's shot on the cheap, guys. So yeah. I mean, they blew their load on Peter Cushing. So yeah. clearly, they're they're not going back for reshoots. There's there's gonna be moments in this where you're like, I thought he, that guy broke his hand, and suddenly he's climbing with the hand that he broke. Okay, well, yeah. Sure. No, th- okay. there's gonna be some fun little gaffes that we're gonna call out. <laughs> and it's all good, but and it's all in good humor. But know that we both adore this film. Right. After uh, Keith says sorry. Captain says, don't apologize, navigate. Cut to a scene under the water in the ocean. The camera pans down deep 
deep underwater into what looks like a propeller of a submarine or some sort of wreckage of a ship. It's a ship. And the water and the camera pans through the wreckage like a POV shot, similar to Jaws, actually. And this came out, you know, a few years after Jaws, so it makes sense that they would be influenced by that. Yeah, and all the underwater photography is fan-fucking-tastic. Beautiful. Uh, It's... it's, uh, it's it's by the same guy who did the cinematography for the movie itself. Maybe you know who knows. Maybe he just fucking went off to be an underwater photographer. Yeah, maybe he found a maybe he hung out with Jimmy Buffett and started smuggling marijuana off the Florida Keys. <laughs> there you go. Maybe or margaritas, one of the two. Well, you know Jimmy Buffett was a huge drug smuggler. He oh. wrote a book about it. Oh, I didn't and know basically, that. Basically, and basically, like he would come into the shore, he would come into uh, docks and shit, and in the in the co- lifeguards or coast guards or whatever were like, "Hey, it's Jimmy Buffett." So they wouldn't even question. They wouldn't even question him what what he had on his boat because of Jimmy Buffett, such a cool guy. Meanwhile, he's like cocaine, marijuana, all that shit. That makes me like him more. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. That's awesome. That's He's great. badass. That's pretty fucking cool. Not going to lie. Okay. <laughs> send lawyers, drugs, and money. Just send Jimmy Buffett and he'll, he'll get you out of it. <laughs> shit has hit the fan. Yeah. That's not Jimmy Buffett. That is Warren. What's his name? Warren Buffett? No. Who, who sings uh, Werewolves at London? Oh, London. Ooh, Werewolves of London. It's Warren Zevon. That's Warren Zevon. Okay. That is Warren Zevon, ladies and gentlemen, not Jimmy Buffett. That's a great song, by the way. Warriors, Guns, and Money. Okay. Put it on your list. <clears throat> so, okay. so is Werewolves of London. So it sure is. Actually, Warren <laughs> Zevon is the fucking man. I love that guy. Uh, so, anyways, the cut to from the underwater scenes, cut to above water, and now the sky is bright orange. Keith's looking at the sun. Don't look at the sun, ladies and gentlemen. Don't look at the sun. <laughs> Don't be an idiot or someone who used to try to run this country. Um, and goes, <laughs> Jesus, look at the sun. I'm like, no, don't look at the sun. Captain looks up to the sky. And, and it, to me, it looked like some sort of solar eclipse. That it's, That's what it looked like. Dude, I love this aspect of the movie. It never, me too. It never gets explained. Nope. Um, it's, Which is okay. No, I, I think it's awesome. I We don't even know, like, at all why the zombies come up. Is it connected to the sun? Is it because they, you know, passed by? I, I, we don't know. And that's, they passed by. That's what's really fucking cool. And I like it. I li- It kind of goes back to the conversation I had at the beginning of the episode. I like these pre-Dawn of the Dead zombie movies that are just like, trying messing with different ways that the zombies exist and stuff and having fun with it. And I like this supernatural aspect of it. And of course it's accompanied by an eerie score that is so fucking effective. Yeah. Throughout this, there are music cues that hit and you're just like, Oh shit's going to hit the fan right now. Cause mm-hmm. something's gonna, it just, it, it's always signaling something bad. Yeah. Yeah. At this moment, you're now introduced to Beverly chuck who looks an awful lot like the father of reed rothschild um and norman everyone comes out onto the deck of the boat to see what's going on with the sky and they're all looking at the sun they're all going blind (laughs) captain ben tells keith to see if he can raise someone on the radio keith tries the radio but all he hears is static cut back to under the water throughout the wreckage of the ship you hear a faint something like creaking some sort of weird sound and the 
POV under the water gets a little bit faster and suddenly you cut back above water and the captain tells Keith to cut the engine. You see Rose looking around cautiously toward the water, cut back to under the water in the wreckage. You continue to hear the thumping and the creaking. You see schools of fish kind of sporadically like getting spooked by something or, or, or scared by something. They scramble. Cut back to above water. Keith asks the captain, did you hear that? Captain says, tell, captain tells him to be quiet. Keith looks worried. Captain says, let's get the hell out of here. Keith starts the engine in the boat and they start to take off. Camera fades. And it's always, I find it kind of freaky that you're out there on the middle of the ocean on the water and you hear something like you've never heard before. I feel like that's such a weird, freaky thing that just, man, everything about this movie is just nothing but atmosphere, atmosphere, eerie atmosphere. Just it, this, this, this movie is moody as fuck and I love it. If, if you heard, if you were in the middle of nowhere yeah. and you heard that sound, you would not be okay with that sound. No, because you don't know where the fuck it's coming from and shit, you know? No. It's evening now, and you see a faraway shot of Captain Ben's boat. Cut to the interior of the boat. You're in the quarters of Norman and Beverly's room. Norman's looking out the window. Beverly's in, her, in bed filing her nails. Norman says, it's pitch black outside. He whines to this whole thing. The whole thing. Beverly says, what do you expect to see? Norman says, I don't like this one bit. He looks super nervous. He goes, I hope these people know what they're doing. Beverly says, they must know what they're doing. They're sailors, aren't they? And Norman says, so is the crew of the Titanic. He's such a turd. (laughs) He's such a turd. He's perfect, though. He's perfect for it. Beverly looks dismissive and annoyed while she files her nails and her hair is in rollers. She goes, look, Norman, if you're so worried, why don't you go upstairs and help the captain steer the boat? I'm sure he'd be grateful. Norman says, I think I'll do just that. And he po- while he points at her with that fucking finger of his, because he does that later again in the movie. Yeah. It's like a cock. Yeah. And he heads out of the room. He's definitely the kind of husband that says, if I want your opinion, I'll ask for it. And he actually says that later to her. So he he's a giant yep. piece of shit. But yeah, the giant actor does a great job conveying his piece of shitness. Yeah, yeah, he's a guy you want to see get killed. Cut to the top deck interior of the boat. Uh, you know, like the, the mess hall. And Chuck is building a house of cards while Norman approaches, comes up the stairs. Chuck asks if he wants a drink. And Norman says, no, thank you. And he says, I'm going to speak to the captain about this situation. And Chuck tells him to relax and says, besides, you won't get anything out of him. I already tried. And Norman says, well, don't you think it's a bit unusual? Suddenly Dobbs approaches. Dobbs is as crusty of a secondhand man as you would think he would be. He just he's like perfect for it. Guy looks like he's lived on the uh, on the water his whole life. Probably he's never had a wife or girlfriend. No, the sea is his wife and his girlfriend. And I like yes. it when uh when his hand. when Chuck, you know, offers offers him Dobbs a drink of, of his whiskey. And he's about to pour some uh you know coke into it, but Dobbs like, No, no, I'll take that neat and I'm like, That's right. Like a real fucking man, you take that whiskey neat. <laughs> and I will take it with that coke. In fact, I'll just take the coke. <laughs> there you go. When Dobbs does approach, he says, Are you people ready for some dinner? Cut back to Norman saying, 
Can anyone tell us what's going on out there? Dop says, I'm only the Galleon. I don't know more than you do. Cut to Chuck with his cards now flat on the ground. And that's when he says, hey, Dobbs, how about a drink? And that's when Dobbs says, don't mind if I do. Norman looks annoyed because they're not paying attention to him. Dobbs takes a swig from his rum. Norman says, you mean to say you've never seen anything like this? Dobbs says, Kent says I ever has. Norman says, why aren't you curious about it? Dobbs says, I love this line. C spits up what it can't keep down. And I was like, that should have been the the tagline for the movie. I think that is a genius line. That works. That works really well for this. Yeah, I agree. Does. I agree. Cut to a shot of the compass on the boat near the steering wheel. Captain says to Keith, we've been holding steady for half an hour. And he gives him directions on how to steer. He says, take another reading in a couple hours. Keith says, you have any idea where we are? And the captain says, well, when the weather clears, we will. In the meantime, keep checking the radio and keep your eyes peeled. I think what we're supposed to believe right here is because earlier when Norman says that, you know, it's so dark outside, I think, you know, there's no, I think there's too many clouds and, and there's no starlight, so they can't navigate and everything. Um, we don't know if that's connected to the weird color sky, the, the sun or whatever, but I like to think it's all connected and it creates this like, this eeriness, this otherworldly, it's almost as if they've crossed over into like another dimension type of thing. But I, I wish there was a little bit more build up to it, but I like the fact that there's no stars out, so they can't use them to guide, you know, where they're going and everything. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I, I that makes total sense. And it's the not, stars will guide you, not tonight. Yeah, and it's not played up, I think, as much as it sort of needs to be, but that's what I think is kind of going on here. Right. Captain leaves Keith to steer the boat while he goes inside to get some food for dinner. I love when he gets in there, uh, uh, John Carradine. He sits down and everyone's looking at him. He's like, I feel like I shouldn't be eating this food, like meaning to right. poison it or something. But the way he delivers that line, he has such chem- like charisma to him. He's just, man, I love watching John Carradine every second of this movie. I love him when he's on screen. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. Yeah. They're all sitting down at the table, Chuck and Rose and Beverly and Norman, looking nervous. Captain joins him. Dobbs serves him his spaghetti with his thing of uh, with his thing of Parmesan cheese. It's so like, <laughs> I'm like, man, if they paid big money for this, I'd be pissed too. Because all it is is, how hard is it to make pasta? Yeah. With that crappy chef, uh, with that crappy craft parmesan cheese which i love by the way but if you're on a cruise that's not what you'd want no and by the way this is not a set like this is the interior of that boat that they rented and the the producer cinematographer guy said you know in the interview he's like yeah if i probably if i could change one thing it'd be like he would he wished that they just filmed these scenes on a set just because it was so cramped in there but i think that they them filming it like on the actual boat and having the camera and everyone crammed into it i think that that authentically portrays the the cabin like i think it authentically portrays the condition that they're in and i'm glad that they didn't film this on a set yeah no i i totally agree totally agree it adds to the the tension for sure very much so because everyone's right on top of each other so you you get the sense like okay you can like it's like a powder keg it's you know it's not 
that much tension, guys and gals. But, you know, that there is a bit of tension, and it is added to by the fact that everyone is just on top of each other in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's when the captain gives his line about maybe I shouldn't eat this. And <laughs> Chuck says, well, your, your cook Dobbs here just told us one hell of a yarn. The captain says, what was it this time? Sea monsters or ghost ships? And Norman says, well, as a matter of fact, it was ghost ships. I do kind of wish we heard the yarn, though. I know. I want to hear it, too. Captain starts eating his food and says, up to his old tricks again. Rose says, you don't believe any of these stories have some truth to them. And Captain says, look. I can match your story for I can match you story for story with logical evidence. What does it prove? Men at sea often have hallucinations. They work hard, they have eye strain, lack of sleep, exhaustion. Sometimes they're just plain stupid. <laughs> as well, I, I some think that say was a personal dig on Dobbs. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and he says, well, some say they're more afraid of water than little old ladies are afraid of the dark. Norman says, now wait just a minute. You mean to say that we all, what we all saw out there is just a mirage? Captain says, it was a minor underwater disturbance. It was a hot sky acting on a cold current coming from a mile down below. And Norman says, well, Dobbs was just saying, and the captain interrupts and says, oh, if everything that old fart said came true, both he and me would be in the deep six by now. <laughs> Norman says, given the condition of this boat, I was, I wonder that hasn't happened already. You know what? I would, <laughs> if, if I were a younger man, John Carradine, I would have punched him right there. You talk shit about my fucking boat. It's my right? wife. It's my woman. <laughs> yeah. And Beverly tells him to chill out basically, you know, and the captain says, what's bothering you, mister? Norman says, it seems to me you're taking an unnecessary risk for a boat like this. Captain says, what do you mean a boat like this? Norman says, I mean a broken down old tub that should have been retired years ago, along with her captain. Mm. Norman looks all smug. I mean, you paid for this, you piece of shit. Right? Yeah, the captain says, how is it that a used car salesman knows so much about boats? Norman says, I know enough to see that this boat is not what you people call ship shape. The accommodations aren't worth the money at half the price. Captain smiles. Norman says, I think that you have a responsibility to your passengers. We should turn around right now. And the captain says, set back? For what, a one crankshaft? No chance. First thing you'd want is a refund of your money. And I've already spent your money on her, and it looks... I've already spent your money on the boat. <laughs> now we're going to sit right here, and you people are going to get your money's worth, whether you like it or not. Captain drinks his wine or rum or whatever it is, puts his hat back on, is, excuses himself, and says, like, nods to the ladies. Norman watches him walk away. They all watch him walk away. Chuck laughs and says, now I understand why we're the only passengers. Now, Chuck definitely gets a, you know, Fred Buck played, you know, plays Chuck. He, he gets a chance to shine later, and I think he is the best actor in the movie, um, but it kind of takes a while for him to, to build up to it. But Jack Davidson as Norman, 
he gets a bulk of the dialogue and early on in, in here and i think he handles it well like he does his job as pretty much the main sort of antagonist in the group um but you know, he, he gets all this dialogue, he nails it all, he does a, you know, competent job of, of you know, of, of, you know, landing, nailing his roles and all this kind of stuff, and, you know, I just want to call it out, I think he, he's, he's good, I think he's necessary here, he creates tension, otherwise there would be no tension here, you know? And he's maybe not all that wrong about what he's about to say. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a turd, but he might not be completely wrong either. No, because he, he says, you know, Chuck's like, what do you want to do? Take over the ship? And Norman says, Norman says, no, basically. And he goes, he goes, but there's two other crew members on board. They may not be smart, but they seem to have their wits about them. And Rose, Rose says, don't you think you're overacting a little bit? Norman gets up and says, I warned you people, you're inviting trouble by not taking action. I spoke my mind and my conscience is clear. He gets up and he leaves. He looks at Beverly and he signals for her to come with him. And she goes, I think I'll stay up a little bit longer. Yeah. He walks off in a huff and he says, I'll be in the cabin masturbating. I mean, dude, she fucking hates her husband. You can tell. Loveless marriage (laughs) of the 70s. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, she's sticking her head in an oven like uh, (laughs) Sylvia Plath. That's what Sylvia Plath did. Yeah, yeah. Fucking stuck her head in an oven, guys. Good. Look that shit up. That's wild. Jesus Christ. I took a women's history class. I know about that shit. What, do you get asphyxiated by the, the gas, essentially? I guess I guess so. Fuck. Man, what a, what a way to go. There's a movie loosely based on that called Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, I think. Jesus. From the 70s. Okay. Because there was this whole movement in the 70s of like, their men are men are pieces of shit just like this guy and they don't treat their partner with respect yeah and if women are women women are just losing their minds you know because marriage counseling really hadn't become a thing at that point dude and fucking like i mean you know so many of the older generation were lead poisoned uh and then we had like you know (laughs) PTSD in the 70s from people coming back from Vietnam that was undealt with and everything. And it's just holy shit. (laughs) You know, I mean, for all the shit that's going on nowadays, I there are a lot of things that I think we are doing better, you know, or things are better than they were in the past in, in a lot of regards. Agreed. We're 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 taking steps forward at the same time doing a moonwalk. Gots, gots to do that moonwalk right back into fascism. <laughs> right. Cut to the outside of the boat uh, where Keith is, the, the top deck. Keith is the steering deck? the... Right. Keith is still trying the radio. Nothing's on. He goes back to steering the ship. Quick cut to the captain sleeping in his quarters. Man, did you see the big-ass fucking knot on John Carradine's elbow? It looked like um fucking Val <laughs> no. Kilmer's knot on his elbow in fucking uh, Heat. Oh, Jesus, God, yeah. It's disgusting. Wow. Yeah, cut to shot of Rose sleeping and then waking up. She gets up, grabs her pack of smokes, and heads to the top deck to talk to Keith. She wants some of that Keith dick, baby. Yeah, who's now reading a map while the boat is moving, and he's steering it with his feet. <laughs> he's chilling. He's chilling, baby. It's all good. It's all good. She walks up to him and startles him. She says, you always steer with your feet. (laughs) And Keith says, Keith smiles and doesn't say anything. He goes back to steering with his hands. Rose says, you're not very talkative. 
Keith says, Captain Death and Liketh messing with passengers. <laughs> he does have, he has a little bit of a lisp. Um, he but does. I, that giant mustache probably doesn't help either. I know. He, he looks great. I love his, I love his look oh, and everything. Oh, he looks awesome with his giant faded bell-bottom jeans yeah. and his white t-shirt. He's cool. He's yeah. cool. And the funny thing is, like, they're, I think they're supposed to be, like, you know, not supposed to be, like, love interest at first or whatever, but I'd say they have chemistry together, and from my understanding, they remain friends, like, after this. I think it's pretty obvious that they have chemistry, the two of them. Well, yeah, you yeah, you'll find out later on that he kind of she's they're the only two like normal ones in the group. Yeah, yeah, of course. And poor Keith. Poor fucking poor Keith. Keith. Anyways, Rose asks if he always stays up this late and Keith says, "Well, Ben was supposed to relieve me. He needs more rest than I do though. So I got the whole dog watch to myself." <laughs> Rose asks, "What's a dog watch?" Keith says, "It's a middle of the night watch." I like it. I get a chance to be alone. I mean, suffering thuckadash. It's suffering thuckadash. I mean, come, <laughs> come on, Rose. It's pretty obvious what the dog yeah. watch is. Doy, how about a doy burger for you? <laughs> uh, Rose looks at the compass on the dashboard of the boat and says, can you really tell where we're going with this? Keith says, sure. Rose asks, how? Keith starts, he gives her a whole lesson on calculating the speed, the time, and the distance. Rose asks, where are we now? And, and Keith says, I don't know compass has been out most of the day <laughs> oh that sucks <laughs> so everything I don't you know where we are is, is moot essentially yeah um excuse me captain do you know where we are no no not at all <laughs> suddenly quick cut to the water bubbling starts to form underneath the water there's a rumbling and now you cut back to the wreckage of the boat and you see everything around it shaking sand is moving suddenly the boat or the wreckage of the ship starts to rise and move as the rumbling dies down. Quick cut back to Keith steering the ship with Rose. Rose asks what the matter is, and she says, "Did you hear anything?" Keith says, "I don't think so." And and then he and then he says, "Now I do." Suddenly, out of nowhere, a giant ship approaches Keith and the boat. As Keith frantically steers the boat away from the giant ship, the giant ship crashes, slides by their boat, causing everything and everybody to fall to the ground. Keith gets knocked down by like a like a like a uh, overhang uh, covering canopy of the canopy, yeah, the, the ca- the ca- and then Brooke Adams falls like sort of backwards, but she looks like C three PO when he <laughs> falls in A New Hope when uh, when Luke's looking through the binoculars and he's looking at the Tuscan Raiders and that one Tuscan Raider pops up and then fucking C three PO falls ah backwards. She literally falls the exact same way. She's got great falls in this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's not the first time she falls like a like a like a robot, basically. Yeah, she falls like Anthony Daniels in a robot costume. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Everybody gets knocked down. Rose gets up. They see the ship, the ghost ship, cruise past them and into the darkness. Captain comes up to the top deck and asks, "What the hell that was?" Rose checks on Keith. He's under the umbrella canopy. He gets help to his feet, and he goes, where is it? Where is it? And says, where is it? And Captain says, what? And the Keith says, that freighter off the port bow. Captain says, freighter nothing. What did it do? Fly? Where is it? It's gone. And Keith goes, there's a freighter coming down on us, running without lights. <laughs> Captain says, ships don't come up out of nowhere. We ran into something. Rose says, he's telling the truth. I saw it too. 
suddenly Norman and Beverly walk up to the up to the ladder that leads to the top of the boat. They're both wearing um, life preservers. Captain Norman says, "What happened?" And Captain the captain tells him to go back inside. He goes, "There's no danger here." Norman says, "Well, it sounded like we hit something." I mean, clearly they did the the guardrail, the wooden guardrail that that it's broken. Yeah, that Chuck yeah. is going to be examining in his tidy whities pretty soon. Um, but it's <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's clearly evidence. Like that wasn't like under the water or something. Well, Captain says we did. We hit a school of canned tuna, <laughs> and he tells Norman to take. He goes, "Take off that jacket. We're not. We're not sinking. Well, not yet, anyway." Norman looks down at Beverly. The captain goes to adjust the radio. It's not working. He picks up the radio. He throws the radio into the water right over Chuck's head, who's wearing his tidy whities That kind of reminded me of Quint in bashing the radio in in Jaws. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you're right. That's second kind of Jaws reference tonight. Uh, Chuck yells, what the hell, in his tidy whities <laughs> Yeah. But Has everyone gone crazy? But like I said, he's got a fucking rocking bod, man. He's looking good. It's just that that hair, man, that that perm. Guys and gals, if you don't watch the movie, Chuck, <laughs> again, he's got a great body. He looks fantastic. Said, said as a straight man. I said as a straight man, he looks great. But he has like this fucking melon head with a fucking curly perm right on top of it. And it's like, oh, man. Like, you were so close to greatness, you know what I mean? Whoa, whoa, here he comes. Look out, boys, he'll chew you up. Whoa, whoa, here he, here he comes. He's a butterface. Yep, pretty much, pretty much. Cap, after Chuck goes, has everyone gone crazy? Captain says, oh, don't you know? We've been hit by a ghost ship. <laughs> Cut back up to top deck. Dobbs grabs a spotlight, shines it down where Chuck is standing. Chuck sees a piece of the boat's been cracked off. Captain grabs a flare gun and shoots it in the sky. And as he does, the flare goes up. Big bright red light and comes down. And as it does, you see the wreckage of a boat lying on the top of the water, some sort of sandbank. Flare fades out and the same scene fades out. Dude, I love that shot with the flare. Uh, Samers. I think it's really cool. Now, we're going to cut. Now, the next scene is going to be like next day. I do know that they filmed uh, some shots of them on the boat, ex- like kind of walking around examining it. The wreckage of the boat? The wreckage, yeah. I, I, You know what? I'm glad they cut it because this movie is like a smooth hour and 27 minutes. It's pretty perfectly paced, in my opinion. Um, it goes by very quickly and like speeds from one scene to the next. I don't think they needed them ex- on the boat looking around or anything. I, I, I like that it's I like that it's this thing off in the distance and we never get a real close up, you know, ex- we don't get to, we as an audience don't get to experience it up close and I think that's for the better. Oh, it's it's the adds to the mystery. Less is more. Yep, agreed. Hey, everybody, Corey here. I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. 
Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. Cut to a distant view of the island from the ocean the next day. Sky's blue, clouds in the sky, but it's a beautiful day. Yeah, it's not, not it's orange or, day. or the, the sky is not uh, yellow or whatever it was earlier and everything. So that, that event is over with. But again, I still love the inclusion of that event. That event is over the horizon. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. I love that movie, by the way. I know you do. I know. Diallo is rolling over in his grave right now. <laughs> yep. Let's talk about some 90s cartoons. Uh, you see the boat in the distance. For Keith is asleep. Suddenly he wakes up, looks out into the distance. Dobbs awake. Says, it's over there. He motions with his thumb over to the wreckage of the boat. And I like that. I like how Keith like woke up and immediately was like looking around, like where the fuck is that that ghost ship? Because he was like he was sort of sleeping on the, the the poop deck versus like down below, like everybody else. But I like that yeah, he, he woke up in sort of a panic, you know? Yeah, he's the um, he, you know he's the the stereotypical young blood good guy. Yeah, the, the guy who takes his job seriously. Yeah, you know, you see in the distance the wreckage of the boat that looks like. It could be a hundred years old. That's what the boat looks like. It looks like something from like Greek Roman times. It doesn't even look like a rusted wreckage. I mean, yeah. So, so they have to use this. I think it's off of some key in Florida, um, like this old uh, boat that's sort of on the sandbar. Apparently, the U.S. Navy used to use it, or actually, the Air Force uh, in World War II used to use it as target practice to try, you know, flying and bombing stuff on on water. But um, uh, yeah, that's there. But and it kind of that that doesn't really match the boat that they see earlier and the boat that's underwater. But, it doesn't matter. But that's yeah. okay. It it doesn't yeah. matter. You you totally get what they're going for here. And again, this is a hyper hyper low budget film. And the fact that they are able to like you know put all these pieces together between you know the underwater footage uh that freighter that they almost hit is clearly you know was was a different thing a different you know boat and then now this wreckage that's actually really there i mean they didn't put it there they had to scout that you know they had to find that um but that that boat is really there and it does look different than the boat that that barreled down upon them but it's supposed to be the same boat and it's a-okay because this is a low budget film you give it a pass totally totally you cut to Keith saying, it was moving down on us, Dobbs. Dobbs says, it ain't going no place now. <laughs> and, and Keith goes, but it was moving. I swear. Keith still looked like he's waking up from, from, the, from the rough night before. He's shaking his head, rubbing his hair. He asks where Ben is. Dobbs says, wish I knew. Ben! <laughs> ben! Dobbs is wrapping a fishing rope and doing his 
deckhand shit. And Keith goes, what do you mean? Dobbs says, went looking for him a little while ago. Wasn't in his cabin. Wasn't no place else. Came up on deck. Found these. Camera pans over to the side of the boat where the ladder is. And you see Captain's pants and his shirt hanging from the ladder. Dobbs continues his Dob duty. And then he says, I figured he was checking the underside. Beats me where he is. This is where he says, like, he shouldn't be swimming in those currents. Yeah, 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 exactly. Shouldn't be swimming in those currents. Keith basically runs off to go. You're assuming he goes looking for Ben. And that's when Dobbs says, you know, shouldn't be swimming around near the currents. Suddenly out of nowhere, cut to the side of the boat. Someone's coming up from the water. It's Keith. So it's, you know, moments later in his swimming gear. Dobbs is waiting for him as he comes up. And Dobbs says, what's it look like? Keith says, well, the props and the shafts are all right. She's lying flat on the bottom, and I can't see everything. Norman pops out of nowhere on the boat and says, Are we going to be able to get out of here? Keith says, We'll know as soon as the tide comes in and lifts us off. As he's taking his gear off. Norman says, Oh, swell. And then we can go look for the captain, right? He's probably waiting for us to pick him up on the other side of the island. By the way, Norman is wearing the most ridiculous 70s outfit of like plaid pants and his tight ass polo shirt oh. and amazing white belt. It's like, it's so good. I'm, dude, I mean, and the shorts like, you know, only go to like halfway down his thigh. And I think that's yeah. coming back, by the way. Uh, I think the, the 70s shorts are coming back. And you know what? As uh, someone whose legs are their best feature, I'm uh, I'm okay with that. So I <laughs> I, have a new I would pair. rock. I would rock that, too. I would yeah. rock that, too. I have a new pair of uh, swim trunks that I'm ready to rock out, rock out with uh, at the, the, the pool. And they're kind of short, man. They're not they're not yet yeah, Euro short or anything but you know they're not like board shorts going down to my knees or something as spiro would say yasu (laughs) oh spiro (laughs) so uh, cut to dobbs going into the kitchen area and there's just food and trash everywhere it looks disgusting yeah the the kitchen is trashed it's and there's like i don't think that's like i don't think that's how he normally keeps it it's just because of the 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 hit that they took last night the night before yeah yeah i at first i'm like this guy is so slobby but whatever well benny's got a bunch of nudie pictures on the wall too which is kind of funny yeah he doesn't you know what you thankfully you really can't see the nudity in the pictures even though you can tell so again staying within the pg rating and everything exactly uh suddenly he hears some sort of sound in the kitchen and there's like a mini ladder that leads into the kitchen from the the level above he pulls the ladder away and that's where the engine is he lifts a rickety board up and sees smoke and water spraying out from the engine Cut to the next scene where Norman and Beverly have their giant luggage with them and they're being transported in the dinghy with Keith to the island because clearly they can't be on the boat anymore. Yeah, and obviously they're like about to sink because, of course, he's got the luggage. It reminds me. (laughs) <laughs> of Johnny Cage in the Mortal Kombat movie where he's got all that luggage and everything and he gets out of the dinghy and he kind of falls right into the water and whatnot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking Lyndon Ashby. Like, yeah. They, they made him in such a, they made him into a, such a tool bag in that. Oh, I know, but I love that movie so fucking much. I, I know you love it so much. I do. That and Event Horizon, man. You know what I don't love? I don't love how... Uh, Keith is paddling this little dinghy boat. <laughs> I know. It's like, ah. It's like struggling. And, 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 and no, so no joke, Norman has like five or six pieces of luggage with him. Uh, they're just taking all their stuff off the boat. 
Yeah, and I do like how the luggage does come into play later. Sure does. Norman says, I don't know why we can't stay on the boat. Surely you can pump the water out. Keith says, the hole's been damaged. The hole's been damaged. One wave and she rolls right over. I have a lot of trouble getting out of it then. Right over. <laughs> Every episode, I got to do something, you know. I, I, let's, I love says, it, baby. <laughs> Norman says, you know, I keep asking myself, is this really happening? Is this all a bad dream? Then I realize it isn't a dream anyone would believe, so it must be real. Keith continues to paddle away with Beverly in the middle. Cut to the shore of the island. Eerie shot pans up to face the island. Then you cut to Dobbs walking on the island on the shore, calling out for Ben. Ben! Ben! <laughs> no, do it right. Do it like Luke. Ben! <laughs> ben! <laughs> where the hell are you? <laughs> cut to a palm tree where Rose, who's uh, putting shirt on over her bikini, is watching Chuck in the tree. Chuck is climbing the tree like a monkey. Dobbs approaches and says, what the hell does he think he's doing? Rose says he's trying to break his neck. So there's a couple times when Rose kind of comments on Chuck that the first time I watched it, I was like, are they together? Because then even at the the galley on the boat, they were sitting next to each other. But I mean, they're not. Um, But it is weird how she kind of comments on him like a wife. Because later when he's asleep and everything and she's like, I can't believe he could go asleep so quickly. And she's like, he played very hard today. It's like, why are you always commenting on Chuck, Rose? I, 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 I world built that they were brother and sister. Oh, okay. Oh, I, I, okay. Uh, But then, but then the stuff in the, the refrigerator, I think she would have been able to calm him down. So I don't know if I can subscribe to that, but maybe they know each other in some way. Maybe they're, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Or it could be like uh, the menu where. So I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Could be like the menu where Ronald McDonald comes out and goes, does everybody want a happy meal? And he claps his hands and the Grimace kills Ronald McDonald. Fucking Grimace, fucking the Hamburglar man, fucking, it was it Mayor McCheese? Yo, man, uh-huh. give, me the, give me that fucking Grimace sandwich over there, motherfucker. So, uh, yeah, so he's climbing up. Chuck climbs up the palm tree, looks into the distance and sees a hotel. Chuck yells, ah, shit. <laughs> Cut to an underwater shot of the dinghy. The dinghy, by the way, has a glass bottom. Uh, that's important to point uh, out okay. because it's going to play into things in a little bit. Yes, yes. The water, the dinghy, by the way, is maybe two or three feet above the water. So I'm almost thinking, as I'm watching Keith struggle paddling, I'm like, wouldn't it be easier for him to get out of the boat and just push it? Yeah, well, it's like weighing it down. Yeah, and it is interesting. This beach that they're filming on, um, the water is very shallow, very far. So, like, even though some shots look like they're actually like out there on the water, they're just up to their fucking knees, basically, and that's it. You know, right? Norman goes, "Are you sure we're not weighed down too heavily?" Keeps asking annoying questions. Beverly says, "Norman, leave him alone. He knows what he's doing." Norman says he knows what he's doing. Beverly, these people haven't the slightest idea how to boil water, let alone sail in it. Beverly says, sorry I said anything. By the way, I mentioned the the glass bottom section of the boat. It's important because 
suddenly out of nowhere, you see them sail right over Captain Ben, who is dead, floating on the water. And this is fantastic. Face up. Face, face up. up. He's he's facing the, the, the glass. Um, so this shot was done in the producer slash cinematographer's pool. Um, they, that's, oh, really? That's really John Carradine underwater. Um, and you could tell it's not a body like it's, it's him and they didn't have the budget to like make new bodies and shit. So it's really him. They He's got a great reaction on his face, too. They dressed up the bottom of the pool to kind of put some, you know, firm, you know, stuff down there to make it not look like a pool. And they had basically he said we had like two gophers, just probably one was um, Fred, Fred and Ray um, holding him down. And they did four takes, and he would pop back up. And, I mean, even uh, John Carradine would be like, all right, let's take number two. Let's let's do it, you know. And it looks fantastic because it's really fucking him with his eyes open as the boat kind of glides over him. And it, it just, man, this wouldn't have worked any other way. And, you know, thank God for John Carradine, like, doing it. I mean, he's still, like, a fucking 75-year-old man still getting underwater and holding his breath. You know, there is a there is an inherent danger to what he's doing. And I'm just, I'm impressed like hell with, like, so many of the shots that they get in this movie. It's just amazing. Yeah, the the final one uh, with, with the person that gets strangled. I'm like, oh, my God, that's intense. Also, the zombie stuff, man, like later when they're coming out of the water, the fact that like they never open their mouths, they never breathe and stuff like it's just again, this this movie, this is truly one of those movies that is better than it has any right to be budget wise. Agreed. Agreed. Next scene, Keith and Chuck are now carrying Captain Ben's dead body out of the water. He had a good run. He had a good run. He did. He did. (laughs) Past Dobbs, who looks horrified. They bring the body onto the beach while Beverly, Norman, and Rose look on shocked. Rose gives Keith a towel and they drape it over Ben's dead body. Music blasts and cuts to the next scene. Can I just say, as I'm watching you do your thing, I'm watching Fozzie behind you on the bed playing with, like, a toy. So Zach's, like, Zach's reading all, like, intently and everything, but just over his right shoulder, screen left, is his dog just on the bed, just playing, tossing the toy around, and I'm like, ah, I fucking love dogs. What are you doing? <laughs> He's having a good time. Doing? She's having a good time. having a good time? Yeah. She's like, she's like, go back to breaking down your yeah, movie. Yeah, she's like, I got my shit, man. Don't worry about me. <laughs> are you having a good time? He's a good girl. Oh, she's so sweet. Yeah, she's so good. Yeah, you're gonna love her when you meet her. I know. Um, Chuck, what? What? Are they, what? Now she's just staring at dad. That's all she's doing is staring at dad. <laughs> oh my god, I can't. I can't. She's like, play with me in a little while. Dad's working right now. <laughs> yeah, dad's working. Chuck leads the way. Uh, from there, Chuck leads the way through the jungle woods. With Beverly, Rose, Norman, Keith, and Dobbs in tow. A uh, quick question, just sorry. Um, yeah. So, Captain Ben, uh, do you think he did die by the currents, or do you think he died by the hand of hands of a zombie? I'll go with hands of a zombie. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you, and I think that's probably the right answer. But I do like the fact that there is a little bit of mystery behind at least this yeah. little part right here. So far, yeah, so far. By the way, I want to point out throughout this movie. Chuck is carrying and holding an orange backpack all the time, yeah. all 
the time. And we don't know. We don't ever find out what's really in that, do we? No, we find a few things come up, but not everything. Okay. Yeah. They all look hot. They all look tired. Norman, of course, is carrying 40 bags with him. Uh, you cut to the exterior of a beautifully, a beautiful mansion hotel that looks like at one point it would have been like the best place to stay around. It's amazing where they shot this. This this hotel that they shot it at is breathtaking. Yeah, it's actually it's called the Hotel Biltmore in in Florida. And yeah, at the time it was abandoned. I don't know if it's been demolished at this point or, or whatever. But yeah, it's an awesome location. Group arrives at the hotel. As they approach, you see palm fronds everywhere. Everything's overgrown. Just looks empty and deserted. They walk into the main entryway of the hotel. They make their way up a series of stairs onto like the main floor. As music plays eerily. Like the score of the movie, by the way. That's important to point out. Keith and Chuck pound a door open and enter the inside of a hotel. The rest of the group slowly makes their way in. Keith looks around with Chuck and says, Looks like our trip up here was for nothing. Chuck says, This must have been one hell of a joint back in the day. Thuffering, thuckatash. <laughs> Thuffering, thuckatash. Beverly looks exhausted. Rose looks curious. Norman follows up the rear with all of his goddamn luggage. Quick exterior shot of the wreckage of the boat. Suddenly, scene cuts to underwater. You see waves moving, and there's a rumbling sound camera pans through the wreckage of the ship suddenly you see someone walking in the wreckage of the ship underwater you see black boots and military pants that's all you see they jump off the wreckage of the boat onto the base of the seafloor camera continues to follow the legs that are walking it is now revealed that this these legs are connected to a zombie a nazi zombie dressed in a military outfit with goggles on lurking through the sea quick shot above the seawater you can see that the nazi zombie starting he's right at the base underneath the water and just as the water starts breaking he slowly emerges from the water his face grotesque but it's covered by these goggles he looks around slowly and then suddenly quickly lunges out of the water dude so good so good so uh we'll start at the beginning um, I loved the, the just seeing his legs, obviously in that scene, I love the act- seeing his legs <laughs> that scene, the actor was wearing scuba gear and just with the, the, you know, the pants on and everything. Okay. But the next shot where you actually see the actor walking around on the bottom of the ocean, I was like, you know what? I'm going to time this from the moment you see him, you see his face, the beginning of the scene. It is 26 seconds long. Try, guys and gals, right now, time. try holding your breath for 26 seconds. And that's just what's filmed because then he has to, he has to like make a signal and then the, the cinematographer has to come over to him and give him his rebreather and everything. So there has to still be like another solid like 10 seconds that he has to hold his health, his breath, you know, even longer. Um, they said that they did this in the amount of like basically one can's worth, you know, one real worth. And, you know, they did it a few times. And my God, it looks fantastic. And I mean, dude, we're kind of like, again, another 
connection to zombie with the you know zombie versus shark underwater stuff like this zombie walking around is just as impressive i mean it's it's fan fucking tastic and i i love it and then when he gets out of the water later like you think the water's kind of deep you know because he kind of just raises up and then he quickly shoots up i jumped when myra and i were watching it like i jumped right there it was a good little jump scare it is a good jump scare and i also want to point out how awesome the makeup effects look in the water yeah yeah dude like i don't think like i mean all that shit's like latex and stuff it fucking melts and and you know breaks away in water so like they had to like yeah it looks great it 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 looks fucking great it's everything he he looked goddamn fantastic except for his face (laughs) it's just disgusting all the zombie shit is great in this movie cut back to the hotel in the kitchen Chuck enters the kitchen, calls for Dobbs, and says, I found your room. Dobbs comes in and looks around. Place is a mess, but it looks like they were having a gala or some sort of party because there's martini glasses, like, stacked on top of each other. It looks like they were about to start something. Chuck's still wearing his fucking backpack, by the way. Dobbs walks past a martini glass, takes out his flask, pours some whiskey in it. Chuck looks at him and says, don't you ever get enough of that stuff? Dobbs says, only once in a while, takes a swig from his glass and then says, I don't usually remember it, though. Throws the glass behind him. You hear it shatter. (laughs) (laughs) They find a refrigerator, open it up, and Dobbs marvels at the size of the refrigerator. I'm like, it's a hotel. It's going to have a big fridge. Yeah, I was I Boy. was not understanding his fascination with the fridge. Here, oh, but, would you look but, at this thing? It's a, but yeah. clearly neither did Chuck. Just like, sure, dude, it's a fridge, man. <laughs> it's a fucking fridge and it's empty. There's no food. I'm hungry. Yeah, like, uh, yeah you think that it's going to be like stocked or something, but it's not. They walk by a fish tank in the kitchen. It's important. Foreshadow. It's a, And inside the fish tank is a puffer fish. Dob also looks inside the fish tank and sees a sea urchin in the tank foreshadow that'll yeah that'll be foreshadowing so my takeaway the fact that like this this tank is still like active and and obviously clean and everything it's an indicator that someone is still alive here or someone is still maintaining things here yes that's very true that's very true suddenly you hear a record player scratching and you see shots of the interior of the hotel classical music starts playing you continue to see empty shots of the hotel until keith and rose start searching for the music Cut to a gramophone record player playing a classical song. Beverly and Norman are near a gigantic fireplace, like in the lobby of the hotel. They walk towards the music as well. By the way, I love those old school fireplaces. Those, like where uh, it, that movie, The Haunting, I think used it really effectively. Yeah, uh, I know. Which, yeah, I love those where you could like go inside and mm-hmm. hang out. Yeah, yeah. Didn't uh, uh Owen Will no Luke Wilson got his head knocked off or something in that one, right? Uh, yeah, I think he did. Yeah, Luke yeah. Wilson. <laughs> hey guys, what's going on? That that um, was back around the Anaconda time where he was still that guy that got killed in movies. Yeah, where he'd show up and you're like. That guy's going to be the hero. He's a legitimate actor. Oh, he's dead after five minutes. He's dead. <laughs> he's dead. Keith and Rose were upstairs. Looked like they were holding hands, by the way, at one point, Keith and Rose. It yeah, looked when like they were holding down. hands. It does. It did. I think when they were going down the stairs or something like that. So I was like, okay, this is the, the love interest set up, you know, the typical thing. Yep. They come down the stairs. Chuck and Dobbs come up from the kitchen. All six of them meet in the center of the hotel. 
where the gramophone is still playing. They stare at the record player cautiously. The music slows down because gramophones you have to crank up. Suddenly it cuts out, and then out of nowhere you hear a voice say, Why have you come to this place? And the six of them look around to see where the voices come from. I am waiting. He will please answer my question. Chuck says, Who wants to know? The man says, That is not of importance. Why are you here? Keith says, Our boat ran aground on the reef. Where are you? (laughs) The man says, I am near, but also far. Keith continues, We can't get her off. Bottom's filled in. We saw this place. We came up here. (laughs) The man says, How many are you? Chuck says, Why should we answer you? And the man says, Because I live here, and you have entered uninvited. Good point. I mean, he's not wrong. (laughs) He's not wrong, baby. Keith says, (laughs) Keith says, Look. Keith says, (laughs) We didn't mean to trespass. We didn't mean to (laughs) trespass. He doesn't say trespass. He goes, We didn't mean to trespass. Yes, yeah, he had, dude. I notice that he says, tris, tris, he says, trespass. Trispa, trispa. Yeah, I can't even fucking say it. Yeah, trespass. We didn't mean, yeah. we didn't mean to trespass. I, I looked up. I was like taking notes. I was like, what did he just? Okay, I'm moving what on. Did, what, what, <laughs> what was huh? that? Didn't seem like anyone else was here. We're running at night. Hit that wreck. We're alone. We need help. We didn't mean to cause any trouble. The man says, "What do you mean? There, there is no wreck." Keith says. Sure there is. It's right out there on the reef. Can you help us out? Are you still there? Are you you still there? Norman says, I don't like this one bit. He sounds like a nut. Chuck says, "Ah, that's probably some old hermit. It's probably harmless. Like Ben Kenobi. Like some old (laughs) hermit like Ben Kenobi. (laughs) Suddenly you hear footsteps approaching from the floor above them to a balcony. Out walks the commander of the SS, a.k.a. Peter Cushing. They all know AKA Grand Moff Tarkin. Fucking A. AKA Whatever his name was in Horror Express. <laughs> yeah, but, but what's the what's the Dracula's main nemesis uh Oh Van Helsing. He, AKA Van Helsing, thank you. There you go. Thank you, Van Van Hels Van Helsing. <laughs> um they all notice him. Commander says, Perhaps you do need help, but you cannot get it here. I'm the sole occupant of this hotel and this island for many years now. You have left others at the beach? Keith says, No, there's only us. Commander asks, Are there survivors from the wreck? Chuck says, No, it's all rusted out. Must have been there years. It has a name? Commander asks. Chuck says, Yeah, uh, pro pro something. Commander says, uh, Peter Christian says, Pretorius? Yes. And then, which, is, which kind of reminded me of Dr. Pretorius from um, uh, from Beyond. Yeah, exactly. And then the commander like looks kind of shook and walks away. Keith asks, Hey, what about getting off the island? Norman says, I've had enough of this. If he's gone, let's get out of here. He grabs Beverly and starts walking off. Chuck says, Think you can find your way? Norman asks, You're not coming? Chuck says, Just where do you think you're going from here? Norman and Beverly look at Chuck kind of dazed because he makes a good point. Yeah? Cut to the next scene, exterior of the hotel. You see the commander running through the jungle. He looks like an old hermit with a bandana tied around his neck. 
not an ascot, and a giant scar on his face over his eye that goes from his top of his eye into his mouth. Dude, that scar is so, like, comic booky. I love it. This whole movie yeah. has such a comic book vibe. This would have been that, a great comic book. Yeah, it would have been great Hellboy, BPRD story or something. Um, but uh, that that scar is really cool, man. I, I really dig that. And apparently, like, he was wearing a lot of, um, you know, uh, I think hair pieces and stuff at the time. But he was also cool with not wearing a hair piece. So, if, like, it's whatever... The, they want it, you know, so here he's not wearing a hairpiece. And uh, he, he looks, he does look a little bit frail, especially around his neck. I'm glad he's wearing that handkerchief because he's got that, that deep, you know, throat thing going on because he's so, like, you know, frail and everything. Um, and I also feel bad for him because I, I know that, you know, his wife died and, uh, you know, before he did and everything. And Oh, yeah, that's a sad story. I, I know. He literally... He was so distraught that he tried killing himself by running up and down the stairs for like two hours straight until uh, Christopher Lee like came over because they were best friends yeah. and everything. Christopher Lee came over, you know, to kind of console him and everything. But the man tried to fucking give himself a heart attack by running up. I mean, I get it, man. If fucking I I, I wouldn't want to go on, you know, if, if Myra passed away before me, I, I get in the fact that he like you know, lives for another, like, you know, 15, 20 years after his wife passes away. That just, I feel for him, man. That shit sucks. Yeah. I can imagine yeah. that shit sucks, I should say. Yeah, totally. Well, he, yeah, he definitely looks weathered throughout yeah. this and plays yeah. the part perfectly. Yeah. So he runs out to the uh, shoreline of the island, and he looks very concerned. He looks out to the wreckage, and you see the same wreckage we've seen throughout the movie. Same shot every time, pretty much. He continues down the beach and looks around nervously and cautiously. Continues to walk. Cut to a swampy part of the island. Like the canals of the yeah. island that lead to the hotel. One of the Nazi zombies is walking through the water and out into the ocean. And I love you only see him from the reflection on the water. like So you don't get a really clear shot of him. Even though you've, we actually got a clear shot of him earlier. I still think this is cool that you only see him via the reflection. Yep. And then you hear this music that again, the score is fantastic. Cut back to the commander walking on the coastline. He's struggling. He's got, he's taking deep breaths. He falls to the ground, kind of falls to the ground to catch his breath. Kind of Cut looks back. at the camera a little bit, but it's okay. It's okay. It's Peter Cushing. Yeah. Cut back to the six survivors inside the hotel room getting ready to lay down for the evening. They're in like a, one of the rooms. There's mattresses everywhere. Chuck's already asleep. Dobbs is playing with his toes. <laughs> Keith and comes in. I think Dobbs playing with his toes is another foreshadowing. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Keith comes into the room with a bunch of pillows. Rose asks where he found them. Keith says, there's a whole room full of them. This place is fantastic. It's a whole <laughs> room full of them upstairs. Norman asks if, if they saw their friend. Keith says, not a sound in the place. Beverly asks, what time is it? Norman sarcastically says, why? Are you going someplace? Yeah, what an asshole. He's a fucking asshole. Beverly says, I haven't been to bed this early since I was five years old. How can we fall asleep? How can he fall asleep like that? Points over at Chuck. Cut to Chuck snoring on a mattress. Rose says, he played very hard today. 
See, that that's why I'm like, I was like so confused as to what their relationship was, because she always seems to have some some kind of commentary on Chuck. But it's, it's this weird, familiar sort of commentary on him. I, I don't know. And I think it's it's probably just dialogue and that's it i'm just sort of reading into it i'm gonna say the brother and sister and you know she doesn't know everything about him sure okay yeah Yeah. i'll I'll buy that i'll buy it cut the dobbs taking a big swig off his whiskey flask and everybody gets settled in for the evening yeah and also um um rose is smoking in there because it's just so weird when you think about it now like would you ever smoke you know in a room full of other people but this is you know filming 1975 76 and that's just that was just the norm i dude i i saw i saw uh, an instagram thing the other day and it was like do y'all remember this and it was like a mcdonald's ashtray and i'm like fuck yes i do i remember when malls had ashtrays in them, I remember when McDonald's yep. and fucking Burger King, you could smoke in there. They had ashtrays in them. And man, I would honestly, you know, what? I would fucking love a McDonald's ashtray. I would use that for my fucking weed uh, right now. Like that's like an actual McDonald's branded ashtray from back in the day. One so of our listeners awesome. is going to find it for you on eBay. Lee, baby, take care of me, on, baby. Lee. Send it to me. Right. <laughs> Next day, you cut the early dawn shot of the wreckage from afar, and then suddenly a Nazi zombie laying down in the water near the shoreline, like it's near the reef. You see him laying in the water. Several zombies, in fact, laying in the water, waiting in the shoreline around the coral reef. Suddenly, they rise from the coral, looking around one by one. One zombie, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I tracked it. Nine zombies rise from the water, and start walking toward the shore it is a wonderful shot probably the best shot in the movie dude it's it's awesome you're right it probably is the best shot of the movie it's fan fucking tastic but i also i like that they're in those coral reefs they're just sort of waiting it's so smart it's like they scouted this thing they probably had very minimal time to figure out what to do but it's brilliant looking but it it's brilliant. They they do it. It's it's so good. I yeah. And you know, you don't they don't explain like do they need the water? Yada yada yada. And then they're going to have a weakness that's going to be kind of interesting and you're going to just have to sort of take it with a grain of salt. It's it's not my favorite aspect of the movie, their quote-unquote weakness, but I don't think it takes anything away because Again, kind of look back on, you know, I like the fact that this movie's trying different things with the whole zombiness of it. You gotta, you gotta roll with the changes. Yeah, there you go. Love that fucking song. I know you do. That's why I did it. (laughs) I listened to that this morning when I took Bodhi to school. Ah, Um, good man. Yeah. Cut to the commander sitting in a room, his office, fanning himself at a desk, sitting, waiting. Cut to the bedroom of the six survivors. Rose is asleep on her bed. Dobbs wakes up gets up and looks for his flask. Keith sees him. Keith wakes up as well. He's got his arm draped behind his head, like he's using his arm as a pillow. But it's really funny the way he's he's, he's posed because it's like what you look like when you still wake up and you're in the middle of a deep sleep, like you're, you know, your body's all like cockeyed or whatever. Yeah. Um, Dobbs goes to take a big swig off his whiskey, but realizes he's out, closes the flask and puts it on the chair. Dobbs looks over at Keith awake, and Dobbs says, 
I know what she was gonna. I know what she was gonna goddamn say. It ain't hot now, right? By the way, he's talking with his normal, like, outside voice, not an inside voice. I know people like this. And he wakes up hot, like he's like, he's really pissed off at at fucking Keith for some yeah. reason. I didn't I didn't get this uh, anger and animosity. I didn't understand it. Keith looks annoyed at him, and Dobbs continues, "It ain't hot now, so I can carry him." I can carry those goddamn cans back here. Keith tells him to keep his voice down so he doesn't wake everybody up. And Dobbs goes, well, you was gonna say it. (laughs) Keith looking annoyed and groggy says, shut up, will ya? Least we could do is feed these people now and then. See, he's being the captain. Dobbs says, I'm going, I'm going. Keith says, you don't have to. One of us can do it. Dobbs gets up to walk out of the hotel room and says, none of you can do nothing. That's what it comes down to. He walks back to grab his flask, puts it in his back pocket and says, not that I'm complaining, mind you. I'm only doing my job. Gets up, walks over to the door and slams it super loud shut. Like Jesus Christ. How many times have you been in a, in a situation where you've had someone loud in the morning who just has like no fucking clue that everyone, when I get up in the morning, a pin you could hear a pin drop. I'm so quiet. And then like, I don't want anyone to be disturbed. Some people just don't give a fuck dropping pots and pans and shit talking at the top of their lungs. It's a little, that's a pet peeve of mine. It's like being fucking mindful. Yeah. That was a pet. That was a pet peeve of mine too. And that was, uh, my dad through and through. He, uh, if he was awake, he wanted everybody else to be awake. I remember doesn't give a shit. I know, and my dad was a bit of a dick in that regard sometimes. Uh, but one time we were up at a family reunion, and uh, uh, so the, you know we were supposed to head back. I think two days, you know, a day or two later, uh, but there was like a septic problem at the house, so we had to head back. You know, we yeah. had to make this like eight-hour drive back, and he got me up really early, and uh, he, he by by doing so, like we were like in campers type of things because we were like at this like uh, um, a lake house, okay. And he just hit the side of the camera. Oh, let's go! You know, that's how he woke <laughs> me up. You know, and so I come down. He's sitting there talking to his brother, and I gave him a choice. I said, I can either go back to bed or I can punch you. <laughs> and uh, he took the, the ladder and I straight up did a street fighter. Like I jumped in the air and I came down on his arms <laughs> so hard. Kick, dad. I, I fucking hadoukened his ass. And he was like, Aah! you know, and even my uncle was like, holy shit. And I was like, all right, we can go now. And now and I just walked away. So, yeah, I, yeah, wow. I'm with you. And here's the thing. I'm with you. I think it's fucking rude as shit to be that loud in the morning yeah so that's here's your advice for all everyone listening don't be loud don't yeah. be loud be considerate uh, you might turn into dobbs cut the dobbs walking through the jungle of the island through the canal carrying a bunch of cans in a bag he's not he's walking through the water the swampy water why is he walking through the river like why everyone does not, that like, by the way they yeah, all do ev- it yeah I yeah okay I I guess that's the fastest route I maybe less... the terrain's a little rough around it I don't know yeah I just kind of wish somebody had said oh this is probably the fastest path I don't know but it's it is kind of weird and then he and then he takes his shoes off so he yeah he he makes the 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 really wise move well it is Dobbs he makes the wise move at this point his feet are already wet shoes are wet takes his shoes off 
and uh, puts him in the bag. Bag starts to drift away. Grabs the bag. Suddenly hears a sound. Looks around. Cut to a quick shot of one of the Nazi zombies watching Dobbs from afar. Dobbs doesn't see him, though, and asks, Is anyone there? Looks in the distance of the shore, and then finally does see someone moving around. You hear leaves rustling. Who is it? Who is it? He says. He looks startled, starts backing up in the water. As he's backing up in the water, he doesn't realize that he's getting closer and closer to sea urchins in the water. Uh, uh, Dude, I hate foot shit. I Oh my god, I hate people stepping on shit in movies, man. Zombie starts to get closer and closer to him, starts walking towards the water. Dobbs continues to step back, steps right on top of a giant sea urchin, screams, falls into the water, and falls face first into the sea urchin as well. Comes out of the water screaming. His face is bloated and super puffy from being spiked. He's groaning in the water while the zombie approaches him and looks down at him. So this is probably the most gory uh, that this movie gets right here. Um, but I will say that when he steps on that that sea urchin, I can't look at it. It, it It's one of those things where it's... It, it makes my tank tickle. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Like when you're like, oh God, you know, and it just, you can't handle it. But I love the zombie, like seeing the zombie, like and again, this is another shot. You see him in the distance. I love these distance shots of the zombies as he's like walking into the water and everything. Yeah. All of I, this is great. I was, uh, I went, to, I went first time I ever went to Hawaii with my brother in Maui. Our first day there, we, we, we got the rental car from the hotel or from the, we got the rental car from the airport and drove down the coast and we saw a beautiful part of the of the beach and we said let's pull over here and check it out we get out start walking around i'm walking around on the rocks didn't see a sea urchin totally sliced two inch gap in my heel of my foot oh god no that started the the trip of hell because i at one point was laying in the water no liner in my swim trunks laying flat on the water and as the as the sand was coming up totally chafed my well my we call it an accordion now oh my god man i'm sorry bro my 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 privates were chafed and i had a giant gash in my foot probably should have got stitches i still have a scar from it so jesus man i i uh (laughs) i remember when i was younger probably like around 12 13 something like that um I was walking barefoot, and I have, like, these baby smooth feet. I I don't have any calluses on them at all. Um, And I remember I stepped on a rock uh, at, like, you know, some kind of parking lot at a lake or something. And then my my stepmom, instead of taking me to the hospital, they just pulled it out with tweezers. But I had – I. They gave me a fucking like a coaster Oof. to bite into, and I fucking just bit into the coaster as they fucking extracted that little rock out of my fucking foot, and oh. I just it it sucks, man. I can still remember it, oh. and, and I'm kick, <laughs> dude. It just and now to this day, like I said, just watching someone step on something. Yeah. I mean, I've probably seen Die Hard so much that I can watch oh, that part, yeah. but I still just I still have to look away, and it's because I can still remember that feeling of the rock getting pulled out it's horrible it's horrible it's horrible cut to keith walking through the hotel walks into the bedroom i think of where all the pillows and mattresses are that he found because they're all flipped up it's disgusting they're all flipped up and on their sides room's a mess 
looks at a seasonal calendar on the wall. I tried to track what the data was on it, but I couldn't see what it was. Looks out the window from the second story down and sees the commander walking around. Keith runs after him, runs down the hallway out of the room. As he does, he runs past a lamp that trip that he almost trips over and it shatters on the ground. It's hilarious. <laughs> I noticed that too. I was like, was that on purpose? Because this one seems like he steps on the base of it, but by doing so, it shoots it like the other direction and it shatters. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think that was intended. Nope. I don't think it was. Finally catches up the, com- finally catches up to the commander without turning around, not facing Keith and says, now you have found me. He turns and looks at Keith and then he goose steps on him, which is yeah. h- hilarious. He totally did a goose step on Keith. Yeah, he does this like, yeah, it's like a nod, but it's not a nod. It's like this, it's an aggra- it looks like an aggressive nod, but you can tell what he's doing. He's doing like a, like a stomp, you know, like a, yeah, like a goose step into place like and kind of Nazi nodding at him. Thing, it's very, yeah, it's, yeah, it's Nazi-esque. But, um, and even Keith's like, well, what the fuck, you know? What the fuck are you doing, man? I'm just trying to say good morning. <laughs> I'm trying to show you my mustache. Fucking <laughs> Keith walks out, Keith, Keith, <laughs> Keith walks after him and says, I was hoping you would give us some help. The commander says, Of course. You must excuse the manners of an old man who's lived by himself for too many years. Not having people around, they've grown rusty with use. Keith says, All we want is for you to tell us how we can get out of here. The commander says, This is a most unfortunate time for you to visit. You and your friends must leave immediately. Keith goes, Fine with me. How do we do it? commander says there is a small boat that can get you away from here you're only a sail or two days from the nearest inhabited island if you hurry the tide will be favorable keith says what's the rush commander says it is better you do not know that but i can tell you this there is a danger here in the water if you're quick you can escape that danger on the edge of the ground is a path which leads to a small canal. There you will find the boat. I believe it is still seaworthy. Cut to Rose in her bikini, walking down to the water for a quick dip. And real quick, I just want to say, Peter Cushing's Nazi accent or German accent is great. I think he does a great job with it. So great. Mine's terrible. I'm doing my best. <laughs> no, yours is absolutely atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> As it should be. As it should be. And interestingly, here in this scene, um, uh, Brooke Adams was originally supposed to be topless. Um, but I think my understanding is something uh, uh, with the wardrobe. She kind of confide, confided in the wardrobe person who happened to be Ken Wiederhorn's uh, wife. And I think she did some favorable maneuvers so that way they couldn't uh, basically shoot her topless, meaning – she put her in a bikini and a top and everything in, in, in shots before and after she's in the water, thus forcing them to have her wear the bikini top in the water. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I, I think she successfully navigated that with the help of the, 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 the wardrobe lady. And again, I'm a okay with, with this PG. <laughs> I love it. I do. Because you know what? We do get our, our Brooke Adams nudity in Invasion of the Body Snatcher, so <laughs> we still get it. <laughs> Little Cory Gory. <laughs> Sleazy Steve still gets what he wants out of life. <laughs> Sleazy Steve please. Sleazy Steve still gets what he wants. Um, so, yeah, so Rose is uh, in the canal, 
and she's going for a quick dip because quick dip baby you know because this is the time to do it you know this is the time the captain's dead but that could have been an accident as far as she knows she goes swimming in the water not knowing what lurks ahead she's doing backstrokes and she swims right into dobbs dead sea urchin filled pus filled body she screams you hear thunder crash and the scene cuts the thunder rose thunder rose it's a great scream though and it's a great moment because you're like oh that must have been disgusting to find hey everybody Corey here i just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages i'm john and i'm the host of action action every week i'm joined by james hey oh and dustin hello and each week we review debate and rank a different action movie we're creating the ultimate list of action movies from awful to awesome so if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies and argue about where they belong on our list and decide you hate us because we made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week, we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Cut to rain coming down, Chuck and Beverly running to the beach. Keith is in the water with Dobbs, asking for help to get him out of the water. Chuck runs in the water and pulls, helps pull Dobbs out with Keith. Rose is traumatized, clearly. Uh, does, I don't blame her. And I got to call out, uh, the guy who's playing Dobbs does a great job leaving his face in the water while they carry him out. Like he, I, You know what I mean? Like He's yeah. not breathing, and I can't tell like how the actor can breathe so i don't know if he can just hold his breath really well but it's really good yeah no i totally agree totally agree beverly runs over to rose to comfort her and tells her to like basically take her away norman walks over as well to dobbs he's looking at dobbs body and pulls something out of dobbs hand and tells everyone to look at it it's an ss patch from a nazi soldier norman says what are you doing with that Chuck says, I don't know, but I know who to ask. Keith sees something in the distance and says, maybe we, sh- maybe we should ask them. Suddenly, you see two Nazi zombies in the far distance watching them and slowly walking away. So creepy. It's like so simple. The movie It Follows does a really good job of this, by the way. The modern movie. I, Corey and I both love that movie. We both got scared several times in that movie. And it's just simple little things movement like you don't have to do a lot of freaky stuff to get a freaky reaction 
Yeah, it's a great shot because it's in the distance. It's not a close-up shot. Yep. It's kind of like from, you know, our our protagonist's POV. So it's off in the distance, and they're, like, in this tall grass, and then these two zombies are looking, and then they just walk away into, like, you know, the brush and everything. And, yeah, it's, it's freaking awesome. Now, I will call out this is the moment where Myra said, yeah, with those goggles. It kind of looked like uh, Riddick from Pitch Black. And I was like, God damn it. Now I can't unsee it. <laughs> They're just better. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to Chuck, Keith, and Norman inside the hotel now with a flashlight walking towards the commander's office. There's his room. When they arrive, they see a giant Nazi flag hanging from the fireplace. And I like when the commander, Peter Cushing, walks out to greet them. You know, he's not expecting them. I like how he looks at them, then kind of looks at the flag. Like, he he knows what they're thinking and yep. what they're looking at. Yep. He says, I am here, gentlemen. He stands above them, the, sec- the floor above them. He walks down to the main floor to talk to them. Why is it you have not left? Chuck says, because, because of this. And he shows them the SS patch. Commander asks where he found it. Keith says, found it in the hand of our cook. We pulled him out of the creek down there. Commander asks who did this, and Chuck says, don't you know? And the commander says, I most sincerely do not. Seemed like he was drowned. Commander walks towards his desk and says, I'm afraid it is too late. Chuck asks, too late for what? Commander says, for any of you, for any of us. You are indeed very stupid. I gave you a chance to save yourselves, but you have refused to take it. So be it. Now it is too late. Keith asks if the commander killed Dobbs. The commander says, yes, I killed him. And your captain too, perhaps. But not in the way you think. It was indirect. Chuck says, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Commander says, if you will not be so impatient, maybe you'll have the opportunity for me to tell you. Commander sits down at his desk and says, We are not alone on this island. Chuck asks if the two Nazi zombies they saw are with the commander. Commander says, We Germans developed the perfect weapon, a soldier. He was capable of fighting under any condition, adapting to any environment or climate, equally at home in the Russian winter or in the African desert. They were the most vicious and bloodthirsty of all the SS divisions. The group under my command was designed for the water to man submarines, which would never have to surface. Chuck interrupts and says, this is nothing but a lot of double talk. Commander continues and says, We created the perfect soldier from cheap hoodlums and thugs and a good number of pathological murderers and sadists as well. We called them the Totten Corps, the Death Corps, creatures more horrible than any you can imagine. Not dead, not alive, but somewhere in between. They were transported to any scene of battle and let loose. The problem arose. They cannot be controlled. Their innate desire for violence made their behavior unpredictable and erratic. There were even incidences where they attacked their own soldiers. So they were withdrawn for further study. As the war drawn to an end, I was ordered to remove my group from possible capture. I took them to the city just before all our ports were closed. We roamed the oceans for many weeks, waiting orders which never came. 
the war was lost. Somewhere near to this island, I sent the ship and her cargo to the bottom, and here I have been ever since in voluntary exile. Keith asks, That's the ship? The one out on the wreath? The commander says, Yes. Nods his head and says, Now she has returned. Norman speaks up and says, You mean to tell us these things have been underwater all these years? Chuck looks annoyed and says, What kind of story is this? You gonna believe this stuff? Commander says, You may believe what you wish. He stands from his desk and says, What you do now is no longer any concern of mine. I want you to leave. He pulls a gun out from his desk, takes it and says, If I see any of you at all, I will shoot on sight. Norman says, I think that's pretty clear. And he starts to back out of the room. Keith in shock follows him. And then they all walk out. So, Zach, my question to you is, not that I dislike it, but do you think we needed <laughs> not that? Not that I dislike it, but. Do you, do you think that we needed that explanation at the beginning if we were going to get this explanation here? Well, so I wrote that in my notes. I said, it's kind of funny that we get this, like, documentarian kind of explanation in the beginning, and then we get it again, but just more elaborate. Um, yeah, it might have been padding. I don't dislike it at all, but it feels like now at this point it's padding. Um, you, you could have changed it by simply saying, you know, um, I, I would have loved this to be a documentary intro by saying what you're about to see is real. The, the mysterious surroundings of these six, these six individuals you see in this photo have, have yet to be, um, you know, yet to be revealed. Right. Uh, like you know, lean blah, blah, into blah, 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 blah. that, that yeah. found footage thing or, or whatever. Yeah. That would actually be a uh, really that would be cool. cool. Yeah. That would yeah. be Dawn of the dead. The ending of yeah. Dawn of the dead. Zack Snyder's on Dawn of the dead. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I don't dislike it because that thing at the beginning kind of makes it like you're saying, like it kind of gives this air of like, like, it makes it real. And then he kind of elaborates, you know, further upon it. Um, so that, I love yeah, his elaboration, I... by the way. I love his elaboration. Oh, yeah. His, yeah. his monologue is fantastic. It, and he, and he nails it perfectly as someone who paid, who got paid $25,000. <laughs> he nailed it fucking perfectly. So now my next question to you is, I mean, I don't think he's going to shoot him. What I did, is he the good guy? Like, did he sink the ship? To make them go away? Like, you know yes. what I mean? Like, what was his motivation there? Yeah, he buried the ship, but he's still evil. You think he's still... Yeah. So you think he's still basically a bad guy? But then, like, later with what happens to him and whatnot, like, they're clearly not... He's not on the same side well, cause he tried with the to zombies. He tried to kill him, right? Okay. Yeah, that's... Okay, so they're they're base. Okay, that's actually... All right, we'll talk about that in a second when he comes, yells at him to, to halt and everything, and yeah. they, they look at him and everything. So, so... He basically broke their trust with him. Yes, and he's still a piece of shit because he's a Nazi yeah. too. Right. So he's not the good guy, but he did do this thing that you know helped humanity. But he's not still the good guy. Right. He's okay. not no good guy. He's just you and I and everywhere between. Ooh. I'm only human. I'm man. I make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to the exterior of the canal where Dobbs was killed. A Nazi rises along with another and another and another onto the shore. 
And my note for this little mini mini scene never gets old. Nope. I never get tired of watching the zombies coming out of the water. It's so cool to watch them rise. So cool. They all rise. There's a total of six of them rise and head towards the hotel. Yeah, so apparently uh, there's there's one main guy, the guy that was the one that was underwater, because uh, they did a, they did an open call um, in Miami for zombies, and they literally were like, "We're doing an open call for zombies." Um, the the one that was in the water walking around, the director or the producer slash uh, cinematographer was like, "Yeah, that guy was weird. He uh, he always carried around a duffel bag with a pistol in it, and he said he would do." anything they ask him to do and he became sort of that main guy and then there was also um and a reporter from i believe the miami herald infiltrated the group and they actually he became one of the zombies and he so the miami herald sent him uh to to basically see if this was a scam they were like this might be a scam so like they sent him in as like sort of undercover Undercover, and and then he gets the job as the zombie and he's the one that kills norman um that's actually the reporter and so after his whole experience while shooting the movie they didn't know he was a reporter for the Miami Herald. He writes up this big piece on the movie, you know, a positive piece. Yeah. It's not like, you know, it's a negative piece. And it actually kind of helped the movie sort of get some some publicity from it. So that, that's, that's awesome. kind of interesting. And then the the, the cinematographer, producer guy, uh, whatever his name was, Train or, or whatever, um, he was like, yeah, the fat, bald one. I think uh, he just was a, a comic book nerd who lived in his mom's basement. He's like... He was like, if nowadays he would be a blogger. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you're throwing wow. so much shade at this fucking bald guy. Wow, that's <laughs> well, yeah, that's messed up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, after all those zombies rise, you cut to Keith and the gang, the 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 last survivors, running out into the canal as well to find the boat that the commander told them about. They get to the part of the canal where they find a rope. They start pulling from the rope. Eventually, that leads to a boat in the bushes. I thought that was clever. Yeah, it's super clever. Boat's all beat up, somewhat rusted and covered with branches, but looks like it's still seaworthy. 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 Cut to the commander on the reef rock area where the zombies rose earlier, looking around, probably for the zombies. He looks from a distance and sees the zombies on the other side of this cove kind of um, canal area as well. Starts yelling back to them in German to halt. They stop and look at him, and they keep on walking while looking at him, and he's yelling to halt. The commander walks after them in the water. Cut to Chuck in the canal, filling up uh, a gas canister with water. I'm like, I don't know if I'd want to drink water from a gas canister, but whatever. But okay. And that water, too, is probably disgusting and probably seawater. Yeah, yeah, that mixture, yeah. Yeah, and I do like when, when Peter Cushing was yelling, like, halt, halt. I like how the zombies were, like, looking at him, like, no, fuck <laughs> no. you, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> it's like you pissed off an entire battalion. Of, like, of... ten zombies. <laughs> yeah, and, and so uh, they do only have, I think, at the max uh, seven zombies or something, but they make good use of of that and everything, you know, what they have on screen. It does make it look like there's more. But, uh, yeah, I do like how they're like, fuck you. Yep. Fuck you, Peter Cushing. Fuck you. Fuck you, <laughs> fuck you asshole. You're an asshole. Yo, yo. 
as uh, as my son Bodie would say, they're OP. The the, yeah. the Nazis zombies are OP. Overpowered. They are. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Chuck's filling up his his gas canister with water. Norman's lugging all of his luggage to the boat. All eight of his bags. He only has like four or five, but still, it's a lot. Yeah. And uh, Keith says, "Where do you think you're going with them?" Norman says, "You don't expect me to leave them, do you?" And Beverly says, don't be an ass, Norman. There's barely enough room for us on the boat. Norman points at her and says, when I want your opinion, I'll ask for it. Me. Yeah. Beverly what and an Rose. Are... What an asshole. I, I called that out earlier. Yeah, he is the type of guy that's going to fucking say that to his wife because he's a gigantic piece of shit. Gigantic. And you want to see him get his comeuppance. And he will soon. Don't worry. Yep. Uh, and meanwhile, Beverly and Rose are scooping water out of the boat. He's holding his luggage. Chuck shows up out of nowhere and says, Hey, we taking you or your bags? <laughs> Norman picks up one of his luggage bags and flings it in the bushes, puts his arms on his side on his puts his arms on his side in a big old huff, like <laughs> Yeah, he poses or something. Piece of shit. Cut to the commander looking for the zombies in the forest slash jungle. Out of nowhere, a zombie rises up behind the commander. Commander doesn't know. He starts walking after the commander, stalking him. Commander has no idea he's being followed by this zombie. He walks to a part of the forest where he turns around to confront the zombie, but the zombie's not there. Mm -hmm. Turns back on his path and continues walking down the path. The zombie appears out of nowhere again and continues to follow the commander. Commander walks through the woods on some sort of like trail. The commander stops at a creek to scoop up some water to wash his face and take a break he finds a f- like a palm frond kind of and fills it with water to drink from it then suddenly he sees something in the water when he looks back down it's one of the zombies the zombie reaches up grabs the commander and pulls him underwater dude dead. fucking dead man they again they never break a, <laughs> they commit to the bit everyone gets drowned and uh, i love it I love it, and this is great. So good. Cut to Chuck paddling the boat with Keith. Norman, Beverly, and Rose are in the boat as well. The six of them, well, sorry, five of them, Dobbs isn't around anymore, five of them are making their way through the branches uh, that shroud the canal. It's very cool the way the, the branches kind of cover over them. Man, again, every location in this movie is fantastic. This is like one of those waterways where all the trees are like their roots are sticking up and everything and yeah it's awesome yeah again this movie so good man so So good good. this scene kind of goes on for quite a few minutes of back and forth because while they're making their way out of the canal you see the zombies rising from the water to come attack them basically but but they haven't connected yet yeah, and you think they're going to, but they kind of never do because I, I a lot of the zombie stuff was filmed um, B B footage B roll, you know, and and there's like they don't when you think about it, the actors don't interact with the zombies a lot uh, until later. Um, but I like this. It, yeah, it felt like padding. It felt kind of like they drew the scene out a little bit and they kind of add these little inner cuts with the zombies, which look great because they're like in murky water and everything. Um, I'm okay with it, that. I'm okay yeah, me, with me too, because it's kind of like a little bit of a red herring. It doesn't really lead to anything, but the location is so beautiful and the zombies are so cool underwater. You never really have a problem with it. No, 
The five survivors finally get out of the canal and into what I guess is considered like the edge of the island. Yeah. Keith props up the sail of the boat. It's actually a pretty decent boat. And uh, they they catch wind. At the same moment, five zombies appear watching them on the shore, walking toward walking towards them. Suddenly, the boat gets stuck in a mud bank. Keith jumps out of the boat and orders everybody out of the boat to help push it off the mud bank. While the rest of the group pushes, Keith yells to Rose to get in the boat and steer the rudder. Keith's halfway underwater while the rest of the group is continuing to push. Beverly loses her footing and falls into the water, and at the same time a zombie rises. Out of nowhere, as Beverly recovers, she sees the zombie from a distance. Chuck runs back to rescue Beverly. Note that it's Chuck, not Norman, that nope. runs back to rescue Beverly. And here's the thing. I, Chuck kind of becomes the hero for a little bit until he's not anymore. But when he turns heel, I believe it because of the circumstances. And, and we'll talk about it because I do think overall Chuck's intentions were always good. And I base that on on how he treats Beverly. He really tries to help Beverly. Yeah. He does. He, he goes back for her. Norman just stands there. Rose is still in the boat. Keith, Rose yells to Keith to get his attention because Keith's trying to continue to pull the boat out. Camera cuts the six of the zombies in the water, watching Beverly and the rest of the group. Beverly stands up out of the water. Chuck runs over to confront one of the, to confront one of the zombies, pulls out the commander's gun. Keith and Norman also run up finally. Keith yells at Chuck, Are you crazy? Let's get the hell out of here. And he holds the gun up so that he doesn't shoot the zombies. Which is, I'm like, just shoot the zombies. Who cares? They're not. Shoot them. Just kill them. Rose is still in the boat, starting to sail off, yelling at Keith, saying, saying We're sailing. Sailing. Takes, takes me, me away, away to away from all these Nazi zombies. Nazi zombies. <laughs> <laughs> Keith yells, come about, come about. <laughs> I'm, assu- I'm assuming that's some sort of term to like turn the boat around. Yeah, I think come about, yeah, means come back around, essentially. Yeah. And then it's too late at this point. The sail turns and hits Rose and knocks her off the boat in another ah. dramatic Oscar-winning performance. <laughs> oh, Rose, fucking idiot. <laughs> Keith starts swimming towards the boat to help Rose and the rest of the group runs in the other direction. Yeah. Keith keeps trying to like go out after the boat until it just gets too far away. Yes. And he's just like, fuck it. I can't, I'm not going after it anymore because Norm- the sail is still up and everything. And it's just, it's on the wind. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they're, they're it's so, so at this point, Chuck Beverly and Norman start heading toward the shore, start heading toward the shore and, Keith tells Norman to take Rose in. He, he, he gets Rose and grabs her and pulls her back over to the group. He tries to swim after the boat, but at this point, it's like at least 100 to 200 feet away, sailing down the water. It's like, bye. Yeah, it bye. was seaworthy after all. <laughs> Keith continues to swim after it, but to no avail. He gives up, sees the boat sail off. He heads back to the shore as well. Womp womp. The five survivors run through the swamp-infested woods as fast as they can. You see these beautiful banyan trees everywhere. Suddenly, it's Norman. Rose and Norman are separated from the rest of the group. Norman's yelling for Beverly. Beverly! Beverly! And they're like in, like, thigh-high mud water, you know? And and by the way, keep in mind, Rose, you know, played by Brooke Adams, is wearing white pants. They must have had 
12 fucking, you know, of these white pants on set because, and also keep in mind this whole scene here, they're going to be covered in mud because next scene they're going to be sparkling white again. (laughs) Can't have shit stained pants. So, uh, so Beverly, so Norman's freaking out. Rose tells him to shut up because they're, and they start, they both start panicking. She's like, let's just keep moving. Cut to Beverly and Chuck together. Chuck's high up in a tree looking to find the hotel with his orange backpack still hanging from his side. (laughs) Beverly asks which way now. Chuck shows her the way. They head back towards the hotel. Cut to Rose and Norman heading through the canal back to the hotel. And then Keith, who's on the shore, heading inland. Suddenly, Norman rushes ahead of Rose Rose tells him to wait, but he just keeps on going faster and faster. He's too far ahead now, so he's separated from Rose. Yeah, he's clearly like in his own headspace. She's told him to shut up because he was shouting, and now she's shouting at him, which is kind of funny. Norman makes his way into the main part of the canal where Dobbs was killed. Suddenly, quietly, a Nazi zombie rises from the water right behind him. Norman has no idea that he's behind him. Suddenly, the zombie looks like he taps Norman on the shoulder. Norman turns around. Zombie grabs him by the neck and pulls him underwater to kill him. (laughs) So that's the zombie that was the reporter. Um, and he's, okay. he's one of the principal zombies and he's, he's one of the better zombies too. Uh, he's got nice, like sharp features, got like a sharp nose and everything. Um, but what I love the most about this scene is that, you know, yeah, like he does kind of turn Norman around, kind of grabs him by the shoulder and Norman turns around and sees him, but he just like takes him into the water and then Norman like doesn't scream or anything. He just takes him under, and then there's, like, that cool shot from above of the water, like, bubbling a little bit, and that's it. That's it. Dead. And it's so interesting, yeah, between zombie versus this. Zombie, we get such gory kills, like, that the emphasis is on gore, but on the flip side of that is this, where the emphasis is not on gore, it's on atmosphere and everything, and it's just, it just, it's interesting to see... Two takes, two different takes on it. Yeah, I, I mean, look, we, we talked about in the zombie one, the gore factor and how it totally works for this. It totally worked for that. This is fear on another level minus the gore. They both yeah. work and they're both yeah. effective. Yeah, they're, that's and that's the point. They're both, you can do things differently and still be effective. Yep. Cut back to Rose, who's on dry land now, making her way back to the hotel. She runs past a Nazi who's hiding in the bushes. And this is when her pants are now back to being sparkly white. She does. She 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 shits white, apparently. <laughs> yeah. She runs past the zombie, gets inside the gate of the hotel. Uh, the gate's made out of wood, like wood slats. And she's hiding behind... The wall of the hotel, I guess, to take a break. She didn't continue to run through. (laughs) And out of nowhere, the Nazi breaks through the the wood slats to try to grab her. She runs away. Instead of running around to the entrance of the gate, the Nazi breaks through the slats to chase after her, which is neither here nor there. It just looks cool. Yeah, it's it's, it's exciting. I like it. She runs past an Olympic-sized swimming pool, which will come back into play later. And it's kind of, you know, half full type of yeah yeah it's i was saying it has shallow water and it's literally half full 
Rose runs away from the pool and then another Nazi zombie comes out of nowhere and grabs her from behind. When he does, she struggles with him and rips his goggles off. When she does, he starts freaking out, trying to find shade, walking aimlessly, like totally disoriented. His eyes are almost empty. It looks like he doesn't even have any eyeballs in there. He's blinded yeah, by I, the light. Yeah, I almost think the actor maybe didn't have it was it was it looked like it was the not way the effect. Yeah. I think it's the the makeup they used to make it they put extra makeup on his eyes. Okay. Yeah, it was good. It was really good makeup. It looked like in um Flash Gordon when um when like Flash rips the the goggles off of one of the there's a scene in Flash Gordon where like these these guys are at terminals and he and he rips a guy's goggles off or something and you see like the the the, the guts coming out of the eyeballs or whatever. You know my thoughts on Flash. Gordon. Yeah, that's why I brought it up. You know what's funny? Go fuck yourself. I actually <laughs> bought the uh, Arrow Blu-ray, buddy, because I'm I am determined to one day sit down with that and see what why everyone fucking loves it. You will. You I will. know. I know. Uh, it also reminded me too when um in Last Starfighter when you finally see one of those grunt alien guys yes. get their bo- gobble they they got their like, the weird eyeballs and everything yeah, you know yep. So here's the conceit of this movie that I think some people might not dig, which is their weakness is which what kills them is removing their goggles. So you know that's kind of their their bullet to the head you know shoot the brains type of thing you got to remove the goggles and again i enjoy the fact that like they're trying different things here because if this movie was made after dawn of the dead came out i don't think that would this would be a thing i think they would make it so that you kill the brain and they would die because that's literally what every zombie movie becomes after but here I like this different take. I like that they're trying something different. They're trying to add something different to the mythos. And, you know, yeah, it's the goggles get knocked off, kills them. I I, I, I get. I would get if you tell me that you think that that's stupid. And I would say I totally understand that. But I would just push back and say at least they're trying something different here. At least this is something different from every other fucking zombie movie we see post dawn of the dead yeah i don't have a problem with it i I feel like it tracks in a way because they're they they've been under the sea for for decades um and inside of a you know submarine or boat or whatever immersed in that and so you know it's almost like the creatures in the descent that have been living underground, you know, and, and, and light is their poison. So uh, why not? We don't, we don't know what how they became zombies in the first place. So just go with it. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Because we don't know what the process was to make them zombies in the first place. So, yeah, yeah it just, again, guys, just, just you know, tongue-in-cheek sort of, you know, uh, uh, suspension of disbelief. This, is, this movie was made in 1976 just... It's kind of one of those things where you just got to go with it and not spend too much time because the movie itself doesn't spend any time trying to explain it. Again, at an hour and 27 minutes, it is very concise and to the point throughout and and, and never sacrifices atmosphere. No, and and the payoff of this dead zombie is really cool, which you're going to see an evolution of his death because he falls to the ground and he dies. But he's not totally dead yet. You'll, You'll get to that in a minute. Cut to Chuck and Beverly discovering Norman's dead body in the shallow waters of the canal. I love the way Chuck 
uh, he, he sees the body, he sees he's dead, and, and in the moment he realizes he's dead, he goes right to Beverly to kind of push her away and everything. It's, I, low-key, man, really like Chuck's character, even though he takes a turn. I think that that turn was... Uh, we'll talk about it in a second because it's it's coming close. But I, I like this. I like that we really see Chuck really looking out for Beverly. He never leaves her behind. He actually thinks about her, unlike Norman. Yeah, yeah. And his his meltdown reminds me a little bit of um, Michael Bean in The Abyss. Yes. The, the Navy SEAL where he slowly, like he he's maybe not the worst guy in the world, but he becomes the worst guy in the world. Because of a certain situation that he's not prepared for. Yes, exactly. Chuck grabs Beverly, but he doesn't forget his orange backpack as well. No, he way. doesn't. Because and also when he he like lets go of Beverly Beverly to grab the orange backpack, she again goes for Norman, and he again has to sort of you know guide her away type of thing. You know what would have been a cool little thing is if he had like anxiety pills in there, and then he and they fell out. Yeah, that would so that would be go. all. And you know what? Maybe he does. And I'll I'll take that world building right there. There you go. Cut to the exterior of the hotel where Keith is inside. He's back inside the room where he found all the pillows, and he's grabbing whatever he can: sheets, pillows, blankets. He looks out the window from the floor where he saw the commander earlier, and he sees a zombie on the ground floor outside, and the zombie that Rose grabbed the goggles off of. His face is now totally deteriorating and decomposing. It's a really cool-looking makeup effect. Another makeup effect that has no right being as good as it is in this low-budget film, kind of like how um, uh, Brooke Adams's uh, sunburn makeup is just—it's too good. You and that's and it's Ornsby. That's your boy, fucking Ornsby from from yep. uh, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. I mean, he is the only one fucking credited on this thing, man. So good, so good. Keith brings the pillows and blankets into the kitchen where he finds Rose. He asks if they're all set, and Rose says, as set as we'll ever be. Keith opens the refrigerator door to find Beverly in the corner, freaking out. Rose asks if there's any sign of them. Keith says no. Then he asks about Beverly. Beverly doesn't say anything. She just looks down at the ground. Keith asks where Chuck is. Rose says, I don't know. She says he didn't want to come inside until he had to. Keith goes looking for Chuck, and he finds him in a random room in the hotel. And I like they they never say he's claustrophobic. There's this awesome little subtle buildup. Yep. Keith looks at him and says, I, I thought I told you to stay inside. What are you doing up here anyways? Looks like the room of the commander, by the way. Yeah, no, they that's where they are. Because even um, Chuck says, I thought, you know, if I come in here, I could I would find out, you know, something that would help us but that's just a ruse to sort of you know you know what i mean that's just a ruse to sort of hide the fact that he's claustrophobic yeah yeah because keith says what's the matter because chuck looks super concerned and chuck goes nothing Uh, i'm coming and they walk off back down to the kitchen quick cut to zombies looking into the windows of i think they're looking into the window of the kitchen or some room in the hotel trying to get in One of the zombies kicks a door open into the hotel and breaks another door. They're looking for the survivors now, and we're down to four. Keith, Chuck, Beverly, and Rose. Yep. Keith and Chuck continue to make their way back down to the kitchen. Suddenly, Chuck throws his backpack down with anger, and Keith says, What is it now? Chuck's freaking out and says, I don't see what the percentage is of hiding in the refrigerator. Keith says, They hate the light, right? 
When do you think you're most likely to see them? Refrigerators got walls two feet thick. I hope it'll be enough. Keith runs down the stairs to the kitchen. Chuck follows after him, still looking freaked out. And at first I was like, oh, is this kind of like Ben in Night of the Living Dead where he's like, I'm not going to like fucking lock myself in here, you know, uh, yeah, a little bit until I have to. But it's 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 a little bit, but not because and I think this movie does a great job of it. You don't know right now that Chuck is claustrophobic. He is horribly claustrophobic, horribly because they get in there and Beverly's upset with him. She's like, you got a lot of nerve. We're all supposed to be in here before dark. You put us in danger. Do you realize that? While Beverly's talking, you don't see where Chuck is, and suddenly the camera cuts to the other corner of the fridge where Chuck is super sweaty, looking panicky. Beverly says, what's with him? And Rose says to Beverly, it's going to be a long night for all of us. Chuck's freaking out. Keith removes the door handle from the refrigerator to kind of position it so he they can get sealed in there and no one from the outside can get in. Keith looks tired and says, "Everybody ready for lights out?" He's got his uh he's got like a a little lantern. He blows out the lantern. Quick shot of the zombies breaking into the hotel, breaking doors and mirrors and glasses. One zombie's in the kitchen. Quick shot of the pufferfish in the tank. <laughs> Foreshadow. Cut to a black scene, no picture. You just hear heavy breathing. Suddenly, Keith turns on his flashlight, looking annoyed, pointing over at Chuck. <laughs> he's like, what the fuck, man? Come on. Like, what's wrong with you? Chuck looks like he's having a nervous breakdown. And and here's here's when Chuck, the actor, uh, fucking um, shit, I, I, I closed out IMDb. What was his name? Buck? Uh, Buck, Buck something. Buck Cherry. Um, <laughs> but here's where, where the actor Chuck... I think this is when he really excels. Uh, this meltdown here is is fantastic, and and it's 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 also believable. That's the thing. Like, you know, like you see meltdowns in movies, and I, you know, I'm gonna just call out Hudson and Aliens. You know, we've seen meltdowns in movies, but like, yeah, it's it's par for the course. Par for the course. But I think this one's really realistic because I I don't I'm not claustrophobic, but I do I do understand that people are, and I do understand that you can't control it. And I think the guy who plays Chuck, um, uh, Fred Buck, I think he does a great job of just he's sweating, he's like he's hyperventilating. I feel it, man. I feel it in this scene, and he is he's turning in a ten out of ten on on the acting yeah. scale. Totally agree. Totally agree. Chuck says, you got to let me out of here. Keith goes, no, we can't do it now. Chuck says, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out, man. (laughs) Just let me out of here. You don't have to come. I can't be in here any longer. He's hyperventilating. He says, I didn't want to come in here. He came and he got me. I I thought it would be okay. Sometimes I can control it, but this, please let me out. I'll take my chances. Keith says, Keith says, it's too late to, it's too late. They'll find us. You oh, have to control it. You have to calm down. Suffering, sacrifice. Suffering, sacrifice. <laughs> Beverly looks annoyed, kind of scared too. Keith turns the lights back off and then back again. Suddenly, Chuck pulls a flare gun out of his backpack and points it at Keith and says, you all stay inside. I can't control it. I don't have any choice. Get out of the way. Keith says, put that thing down. Are you insane? <laughs> Rose says, 
Ro- no, Rose says, are you insane? But it sounds better when Keith says it. Yeah. And he fi- she goes, if you fire that thing in here, we'll all suffocate to death. She goes, let him go if he wants to. Keith says, if I open and close that door, one of them might hear it. Where will we be? Chuck screams, open the goddamn door. Oh, man. Fucking Rose Chuck. says calmly to Keith, open the door. And Keith says, all right, just let me look. Chuck continues to scream, open it, open it, God damn it!" Keith opens the door before he gets a chance to look. Chuck rushes, pushes the door open. He tells Keith to give him the flashlight. And it, this is when he becomes a dick. Like, this is when he becomes, he becomes the, the Miguel Ferrer in Leviathan. Yes. Yes. Good, good callback. Uh, check out our review on that one if you have not. We, uh, not uh, Deep Deep Star 6, by the way, not Leviathan. We. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That was mine. Same that difference. was mine. I sure, run, I sure ran that one. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That, that's why. That's Yeah, check out Deep Star 6, and then go watch Leviathan for uh, shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah. Or not, because fuck that movie. And I'll, yeah. I like Deep Star 6 better. Go but watch yeah. Underwater with uh, Kristen Bell, or whatever her name is. Kristen Stewart. But yeah, uh, Underwater, I think, is a great fucking movie. I, I know, it's I cool. love it's that cool. movie. Um, it's cool. But yeah, so, so here's the thing. I was on Chuck's side, and I understood. I'm like, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, you got to get out of there. I get that. But when he's like, th- when he becomes a dick at this point with the door open and everything, that this is when I'm like, all right, it's time for you to die now. Yeah, because because Chuck's arguing with Keith. He's like, give me the flashlight, and Keith's like, <laughs> like fuck, if we fuck do, you, then fuck you. I'm all we'll gonna... have is the oil lamp. Yeah, and. Chuck's like, I need all the help I can get out here. Give it to me. Give it to me. Keith struggles with him, and suddenly Keith slams the door on Chuck's arm, which I believe broke his arm. It was supposed to break his wrist. Yeah, and he's holding the flare, too, with that same wrist. So, of course, right when Keith fucking shuts that on his hand, he fucking fires the flare into Into the the fucking refrigerator. refrigerator. Beverly screams, my eye! Okay, she's blind so, now. So she's okay. So she is blind until the end of the movie. Uh, even uh, me and Myra and I were like, "Is she blind?" Like later when she kind of you know is fumbling around and everything. I think she, yeah, she's yeah. blind. Yeah. yeah. The room's filled with smoke and red fl- and red flare. Rose rushes out of the refrigerator. Beverly says, "Help me! I can't see." Chuck struggles to his feet, grabs the flashlight, holding his wrist at the same time. So he's like grabs a flashlight in one hand, uh, has his limp wrist on the other side, but he's still got his backpack, by the way. Keith goes back in the refrigerator, grab Beverly and pulls her out. And this is a great shot because this whole scene is lit by the flare in the refrigerator. So when they're out of the refrigerator, the only light is that red light coming out of it. And there's also that smoke and everything cinematography in this movie is i mean he's he only did one other fucking movie like what a crazy what a goddamn shame it's a goddamn shame but but what i what i love about the scene is that after he saves beverly (laughs) he picks up rose and they take off and they leave beverly behind and i'm like you know what you got you got a you got to, what do you call that? Um, Priorities, man. Priorities. Yeah, trim the fat. You got to like, sorry. Yeah. She, she's blind. She's uh, she's a hindrance. Like, got a survival of the fittest. That's yeah. what it is. Survival of the fittest. Yeah, man. <laughs> Leave that shit behind, man. <laughs> right? 
Cut to Chuck now inside the hotel, running around, trying to find a way out of the place to hide. He runs past a pillar and a zombie appears out of nowhere, starting to stalk Chuck. Chuck is now outside near the swimming pool, where he's now being followed by the zombie. Chuck turns around to face the zombie and falls into the swimming pool, which is, again, half full. Yeah. As he kind of sloshes to the other side of the swimming pool, you see a zombie pop out of the water. And Chuck doesn't see him. He just keeps on trying to get out of the pool. As Chuck runs to the end, as Chuck runs to the end of the pool, he sees a zombie standing waiting for him. The zombie starts approaching Chuck. Chuck turns around, runs the other direction, where a zombie comes out of nowhere to stop him. And Chuck, Chuck plows him over. Like and I was a football like, Heisman Trophy. <laughs> he push. fucking he destroys that zombie, and I was like, oh. Oh, the other zombies are going to give him shit for that because he's going to get demoted. He's going to get demoted. That zombie got destroyed. Right. What I appreciate about this, in this moment, Chuck is favoring his one weak broken wrist Mm -hmm. or sprained wrist or whatever. He's favoring it. Then he starts swimming, and as he's swimming in the water, he's swimming with one arm, which again... He's keeping in character with his with his wrist. Yeah. Suddenly, he swims to the the ladder of the pool and starts to climb up, making his way out of the water. And he's again favoring the the wrist. But then there's an alternate shot where he's climbing and he's climbing with both hands. Yeah. Very comfortably. And yeah. I'm like, oh, you were so close, man. You were so close. <laughs> you did. You were doing so good for a while. You <laughs> were. <laughs> yeah. So suddenly he gets. He starts to get up to the top of the of the ladder but a zombie approaches him he climbs over to the diving board which is near the ladder to try to climb up that way but he gets knocked into the water again yeah the zombie kicks him in the chest and like you can tell that like the actor zombie really connected with you know the actor chuck you know it's good yeah it's great it's fucking great it's great kicks him falls to the ground falls into the water chuck starts to swim out of the other direction run back the other direction where the zombie was waiting for him. Zombie comes out of the water behind him with like a rag or some sort of piece of like a shirt or something and twists it around Chuck's neck. Chuck screams, gets choked to death and pulled into the water. No movement. He pulls him into the water and the water becomes calm. It's a beautiful shot. Love it. Every, uh, most every shot in this movie is fucking beautiful. Um, and again, another, you know, to the deep, another uh, Davy Jones locker. It's it's all they know how to do, and I respect them for that. Yep. I I don't respect the Nazis, but I respect the, the kills that take place. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Cancel culture. <laughs> Keith and, Rose. And we are okay with canceling Nazis. Yeah, every day, all the damn, all the damn time. Um, cut to Keith and Rose finding their way into the basement of the hotel where they find the boiler. Rose even asks, she goes, what is that? And Keith says, it's the boiler. Yeah, they, they fucking hide in it. I, Keith smart. is the man. Yeah. Keith, he's, he fucking knows what's up. He opens up the boiler door. They crawl into the boiler, get inside, and Keith closes it from the inside. Cut to a shot of the fish tank. With the sea anemones and the fish. One of the Nazi zombies walks by the fish tank. Quick cut. Then then Beverly, who's now blind, struggling to find her way through the kitchen. She finds a knife. She holds onto it tightly. She finds her way back into the refrigerator and closes the door. She's smart. Yeah, smart. 
Cut back to Chuck's lifeless body floating in the pool. Dude, I love this shot because he's lit only by the flashlight that he was carrying. It's at the bottom of the pool, facing up at him. You only see, like, him. You know, like, the blacks are... It's not... It's not day for night because I fucking hate day for night. It's actually yep. nighttime with no other lights anywhere else but that flashlight illuminating him from the water as he's face down in it. And yet another of the most, you know, another banger fucking shot in this fucking banger ass movie. Totally agree. Totally agree. Camera fades out, opens to a shot of the wreckage of the Nazis boat on the water. Quick shots of areas around the island. Silent, lifeless, just birds chirping. Suddenly from the water, more zombies rise. Coming out one by one. Making their way towards the hotel. Total of eight zombies make their way to the hotel. What do you think at this point is the amount of zombies we're supposed to think are here on the 20. island? 20. Yeah. I think 20. Okay. Yeah. Like a battalion or something. A battalion, yeah. Cut back to the kitchen of the hotel where Beverly... Here's a sound from the refrigerator, calls out for Rose, calls out for Keith, asks if it's them. She opens the door to the refrigerator, still blind, by the way. But if she gets no reply, why open it? Uh, exactly, because she's, cause she's Beverly. Yeah, she's Beverly. I mean, she's married to Norman. I know. Like, how smart can she be? I know. She Suddenly, she opens up the door. She hears a sound from behind her. And she stabs into nothing. She ends up stabbing the door. There's nothing there. As she walks out of the refrigerator and the door slowly starts to close, there's a zombie right behind her. So when we were, I was watching with Myra, she said, she was, oh, is that, that looks like the zombie that Rose killed earlier by taking. That's what I thought too. I know. And here's the thing. It might be the same actor but I really don't think it's supposed to be the same zombie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's, I don't think it's supposed to be. And he doesn't have his goggles on, but I'm like, yeah, but he's inside, so maybe it's outside light that affects yeah. him. I'll give, it, I'll give it a push. I'll give it a push. Yeah, but, but you're on the same page, right? You don't think it's technically supposed to be the same zombie. No, no, it's not supposed to be. That guy's dead. That guy's dead. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When it's revealed that it's the zombie, you cut to the next scene. Of the boiler room. Outside of the boiler room door, you see Keith open it from the inside. Opens the door. He's covered in sweat and soot. But he and Rose have survived the night. Crawls out of the boiler with Rose. They make their way through the hotel. They're back inside the kitchen now, going to look for Beverly. Rose and Keith search the kitchen. Rose starts walking towards the fish tank. And then she realizes and sees that Beverly's dead body is in the fish tank. (laughs) Keith, looking freaked out, grabs Rose, tells her to come on, and they both split as fast as they can, looking freaked out. And, dude, this is such a great shot. Beverly's in there. The actor is also holding her breath. I mean, And keeping her eyes open, too. None of these are fake bodies. They're all, like, real shit, you know? I um, I was only a few weeks ago when I learned... That, uh, you know, when Ripley is walking in Aliens at the end holding Newt, uh, that's a fake Newt that, you know, because so she doesn't have to hold, 
you know, the hundred pound full weight of that person. That's a that's a fake body right there. And apparently, uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy three, when uh, what uh, Gillian, uh, what Karen Gillian is carrying Quill, that's also a fake Quill because so it doesn't have to. She's not carrying the full weight of a two hundred pound man you know yeah um it's just so so there's no fake bodies in this man these are all the the actors doing their thing so that's really the actress that plays beverly in that fucking you know uh, aquarium holding her breath and and here's where i realized i was like oh this is a little tongue-in-cheek it's i i think this is the the director ken weederhorn saying like okay they are only drown people and like it doesn't matter how much water there is like the zombies only drown people and they are so committed to the bit that they will drown her in this aquarium and i it is it's eerie it's cool looking but at the same time i do think it's slightly tongue-in-cheek him being like look i mean they're just gonna drown you it's all they do you know stay away from water and you'll be good Exactly. But it's it's a great shot. And, and you know, yeah, big rips to Beverly. It's it sucks because it, honestly, I didn't really want to see her die, to be truthful. Yeah, it would have been nice if well, but would have been nice if some people lived. But yeah. we'll get to that. Yeah. So Keith and Rose make their way out of the hotel. They pass the pool where they see Chuck's dead body in the water. Another cool shot. Cut to a quick shot of Nazi zombies making their way towards Rose and Keith in a section of the island. Keith and Rose make their way to the shore of the island where they see a zombie waiting for them there. They run down the coastline away from the zombie who follows after them. They stop and see something in the water. I didn't see what they were looking at. I, I, that, that didn't track for me. They look at something. There's nothing there. What you see, it's, it's the same place that Dobbs died. You know, it's the oh. same place that also uh, Norman died. So they're walking down that canal. They stop and they look and there's a shot of, you know, further down the canal and you see bubbles in the water. And so they know that there's a zombie waiting for them. But I'm going to push back and say that's weird because we never see the zombies make bubbles to the point where I think it's a great job by the filmmakers that the zombies don't ever make bubbles when they're underwater because they have no breath to them. But I get it here. I understand it. So Keith sees that he sees the bubbles in the middle and they, he stops, you know, rows and then they, they go a different route. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a full paw on their end. Cause maybe they should have, you should have been able to see a zombie in the water, but waiting for them, but whatever, it's fine. It's weak. It's a little weak. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. They 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 kind of turn to the right and head up, head up onto dry land, and then suddenly they find the dinghy, the original dinghy that got them to the the island in the first place. The dinghy's called the Bonaventure, by the way. Oh yeah, is that the name of the? I guess that's the name of the boat, right? Because the dinghy's always the probably the name of the boat too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. They get the dinghy, which looks like it's made out of cardboard. By the way, they grab the oars to the boat <laughs> it's dumb because they both go for the oars and the dinghy starts floating away and i'm like why didn't just one of you go for the oars and the other one hold on to the dinghy right exactly it, it, yeah because because they're panicked and they're freaking out how about that yeah right <laughs> as they're making their way out of the canal a zombie comes out of nowhere and grabs keith and pulls him into the water 
The zombie comes back up to grab Rose. Keith jumps out from behind the zombie, grabs his goggles off super grabs his goggles off super fast, and the zombie freaks out and Keith gets away. It's great. It's a great moment. And like, yeah, I fucking killed him. Awesome. Yeah, I like that. It fucking like the zombie gets up and then you're like, oh no, oh fuck, like Keith's dead. But no, Keith Keith comes up as the hero and fucking takes the goggles off. And then we get the we get an interesting shot of the zombie walking across the beach and then falling over dead. And I think we're supposed to believe that that you know it's the same zombie and everything but yeah it's yeah like, so it's how did he get to you know he got to the beach pretty quickly he did because he's a super zombie <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah keith paddles back to the boat to get in with rose and they start heading back into the ocean yeah and that's when you see the zombie without goggles there's a close-up shot of his face it's very eerie when he falls that that's the eyeball that i remember from death dream by the way okay got it Cut back to Keith and Rose on the ocean, getting closer to safety. They're almost there. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Keith's back is turned to the ocean. Rose doesn't see either, but a zombie comes out of nowhere, grabs Keith, and pulls him into the water. This time, it could be for good. Keith doesn't pop up. Rose looks around for Keith. She's sitting in the boat. It's not moving. She starts panicking. She's breathing heavily. She starts to paddle to get away, but there's a rope connected to one of the oars. She struggles with the rope to get it free. She yanks on the rope as tight as she can, but to no avail. Suddenly, she looks down at the glass part of the boat, and she sees Keith's dead body with the rope wrapped around his neck. She screams out into the distance, looking up at the sun. No! Two things. One, <laughs> when she screams and looks up, it reminds me. It reminds me of Seinfeld when he's when George does the the con, you know, like, you know, yeah, the camera totally. kind of pans up and spins. But are we led to believe that she technically killed um, him because the rope is wrapped around Keith's neck and she was like the one that was like pulling on it. So, like, I know that the zombie took him down, but technically are we supposed to believe she killed him by yanking on the rope? Or the zombie wrapped the rope around his neck. But, like, it's, like, insult to injury that she's also, like, pulling on it and, you know. Yeah, he's... yeah we can apply that. But she thinks she killed him. Yeah, yeah. and She definitely thinks she did. And, I because... mean, and it's it's another great shot of, like, yeah, Keith, like, fucking the actor. Like, his face is, like, rubbing against the, yeah. the screen. Halpins. Yeah, and it, but it's, like, he's not looking. He's not blinking. He's just, oh, it's, it's good. It's it's good. It's good. And that's the thing. Like, a movie with, like, very little, like, gore, it, the deaths are, most of them are very disturbing. He looks like he's being strangled, too. Yeah. It's really creepy. Yeah. It's really creepy. Yeah, she collapses on the bench of the boat as the boat slowly drifts into the ocean. The voiceover that started the movie comes back with Rose saying, I don't know how long that dinghy floated around with me lying in it. Camera fades into Rose sitting in a hospital bed, writing in a journal, her face covered with sun damage, chapped lips, better than it looked earlier, but still pretty bad. She's writing in her journal and the voiceover continues. All I can remember is the sound of the water slapping against the side. Then I heard the engine sound getting closer. That was when I realized I was still alive. And then she repeats herself. I don't know how long that dinghy floated around with me lying in it. 
All I can remember is the sound of the water slapping against the side. Rose stops writing for a moment, and then the camera kind of pans around her so you can see what she's writing in her journal, and all you see are squiggle lines. Squiggle lines and squiggle lines. It's fucking gibberish! She's, her, she's, her mind is gone! The voiceover continues after she stops writing and she kind of looks into nothingness and she says, It's only now I remember any of it at all. Scene cuts to the wreckage of the Nazi boat on the water, and then it fades to black, which reminds me a little bit of Session 9. Ah, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. And that is the finale of Shockwaves. Dude, so fucking good, man. She fucking lost her mind. We didn't even, like... Like, you know, kill the zombies. Like, they're still there. They're still there waiting for Hellboy to deal with them. And Rose, her mind is gone. I love that, dude. What a nice, fun little twist ending. Uh, I also, by the way, I don't think I mentioned it earlier, but I love movies where, like, the opening scene and the last scene or the bookends and, you know, everything in the middle is is the the, the story. I uh, it's, it's great, man. This movie is awesome. It proves that you don't need a big budget for, for a great horror movie with great jump scares. You know, th- this movie had some good jump scares in it. This movie has some great atmosphere in it. The score is fan-fucking-tastic. The underwater photography is fan-fucking-tastic. Uh, this movie fires on all cylinders, and it has no right to. Based on, you know, the budget and everything. But it does because it's it's proof that lightning in a bottle. You know, we have Ken Wiederhorn. We have Brooke Adams. You know, we have everyone here. And it all comes together into this fucking awesome movie that no one's ever, like, replicated. Like, there's no other movie that you're like, oh, Shockwaves is like this movie. Shockwaves is one of those movies that is wholly unique and stands like completely on its own and is an experience unto itself. And I, at this point, if you've made it this far and haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. And I, I love this movie, man. I think this is a great fucking movie. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like it's, I'm, I'm actually surprised it hasn't been remade at this point, you know, uh, 30, 40, 40 plus years later um it's really 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 a sleeper in 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 the in the good way not in the in the way it'll make you go to sleep it'll haunt your dreams it's very haunting it's very surreal very cerebral like you could you know watch this late at night and and just kind of go into a lull because it's 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 not too loud and never gets you know the the music never gets too bombastic the screams never get too crazy uh, it's, it's just a creepy, moody film. Atmosphere, atmosphere, atmosphere. That's what this movie has written all over it. Now, I, I loved it. I'm glad we could bring it to pad yet again. Something something different again. And, uh, well, well, we'll continue to do that yeah. on the show. Yeah, no, for sure. And at this point, man, I... I may have to fast track, you know, relatively soon fast track um, uh, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue because I want to put that one into this discussion. I mean, again, like we said earlier, we didn't plan this. This is like this is evolution. We were just kind of going with the flow here. And, you know, it's kind of started with children shouldn't play with dead things. And because of our conversation in that movie, 
you know, I fast-tracked Zombie. And then because of the conversation in that, Zach kind of fast-tracked Shockwaves. And it's just like, I, I like this. I like that, you know, we're not planning this stuff out. We're just, this is where the conversation is going. And I like seeing all of this. We might have to fast-track Death Dream as well. So, uh I know David wants us to cover that one, uh, David Irons, uh, and and some other people too. And I'd like to as well, to be honest with you. I, I've never seen it. And the moment we did, um, you know, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, everyone said, started talking about Death Dreams. So I leave that in your hands because um, I, I feel like you'll probably show run that one. Um, I'll probably show run uh, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. So, you know, we're going to. We're going to keep this conversation going. Yes, this will definitely continue. Just like Cartwright continues, <laughs> doesn't it, Corey? It does. It, oh, I appreciate you, buddy. I was trying to, I'm always trying to figure out a way to make it kind of tie back into two dollar late fee, but yeah. I appreciate I'm it. I'm show running. It's my turn this time. Yeah, thank you, my friend. Uh, yeah, so Adam and I, uh, we finished Seinfeld. We went through uh, all nine seasons, and uh, now we're on to Curb Your Enthusiasm. We're actually fucking, we're on season eight of Curb Your Enthusiasm. So we're having Amazing. a blast with that, and I, this is my first time watching all of it so uh adam's seen it before but it's i'm new to it so we have a bit of a different perspective than uh than we had on cartwright which we were both fans of seinfeld and everything so this is a a bit of a discovery for me and uh i'm i'm enjoying curb i'm i'm more so enjoying the bigger picture that i'm seeing for seinfeld um Mm, zach i know you're a, a seinfeld fan but were you ever did you ever really watch curb did you ever get into that I've seen one episode. That's it. Do you remember which one it was? No. Okay. Okay. (laughs) It was such a long time ago. I enjoyed it, whatever it was. I totally forgot, though. (laughs) But I I do know you're a fan of Seinfeld, though. Um, But thank you. Thank you, my friend. Um, Yeah, I'll have to to give it a shot. uh, What's going on with uh, $2 late fee this month, buddy? So this week, after this episode drops here, the following Sunday, uh, Deborah Goodrich Royce will be joining us on two dollar late fee. She was in April Fool's Day. Just one of the guys. Uh, a, a whole slew of '80s movies back in the day and '80s television as well. She's an author now. She's written three books, uh, mystery novels. They're really, really, really good. And she joins us to talk about her movies, her books. Other fun, nostalgic moments from the 80s. She's is a really great interview. Obviously, we talk about April Fool's Day a lot and just one of the guys. I loved April Fool's Day as a kid. I had, like, one summer where, like, I rented it multiple times or maybe I watched it on HBO. But I, like, I had, like, this one moment in time where I watched April Fool's Day, like, a ton. But then I haven't seen it, like, in 35 years. Does it... Does it hold up? Oh, yeah. I, um, you know, we, we obviously covered it in the pre-episode to the interview. And one of the comments I made was that I actually appreciate it more now than I did way back when. And uh, some of the highlights are, you know, just the, the overall acting in it. It's like a horror version of The Big Chill, basically, yeah. in my opinion, is what it is. And, uh, you know, it's it's got some moments that don't track very well, but... Overall, like 
Ken Olin screaming at the end is one of the highlights of this movie. And I played a little sound clip in the in the episode. Uh, it's fun, man. It's a it's a fun, dark comedy. It's not horror. It's more thriller yeah. than anything else. Yeah, with a little bit of comedy mixed in. Yeah, didn't uh, Shout Factory or or was that a Shout Select uh, version or something? I believe it was. I believe it was like a Shout Factory, Shout Select version that was put out. Uh, that's the version I watched. And yeah, it, it's it's a really fun, nostalgic movie. And both both Dustin and I hate on the uh, April Fool's pranks. That's why we're like, let's do it in May. April Fool's May. Yeah, I feel bad for my sister-in-law, uh, Myra's sister. Her birthday is April Fool's. It's it's April 1st. Oh, every and, year. Yeah, I didn't get you anything. <laughs> April Fool's. I, I'm not the biggest fan of like practical jokes and stuff and no me I, neither and honestly i i just stay off of social media and shit on april fool's day because it's just it's dumb it's not it, at this point it, you're not clever you know what i mean oh, like, no. and i've been victim of that that thing where they're like you know uh companies like oh we're, we're running a huge sale on april 1st click here and they're like just kidding but we'll give you five percent off anyways yeah like, fuck oh. you Fuck you. <laughs> but you know what, guys? We would never fool you with the content that we give you on our Patreon. So consider joining consider joining our Patreon, patreon.com slash podcasting after dark for the wrap-ups, the Carpenter Factor, uh, our interviews after dark that are exclusive, that have been behind the wall on there as well, and so much more on podcasting after dark. Y'all know, those of you that are already signed up, you know what you get. You know how special it is. Those of you who have just signed up, thank you so much. And those of you that are considering joining, thank you for considering. And maybe you will pull the trigger, the proverbial trigger. Unlike Chuck, uh, you won't pull a flare gun trigger <laughs> in a refrigerator. You'll pull the trigger on patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. <laughs> fucking chuck what an asshole yeah thank you all so much for for supporting this show and a free way to support the show is to leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever uh allows for five-star reviews and i say uh extend that to two dollar lafey as, as well if you uh you know listen to that show i mean any podcast you listen to just leave a five-star review it's free it's easy and it really really fucking helps so thank you all so much for for all the love and support you give us and as always we'll catch you on the dark side be sure to subscribe to podcasting after dark and give us a five-star rating on itunes Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? 
Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.